0: If one receives evil from another, let one not do evil in return. Rather, let him extend love to the enemy, that love might unite them. I've heard all this before in the human talmud. Of course you have.
1: But what you have not yet learned is the way we Drax express the
0: truth. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hi, Bartek. How are you? Good,
1: Ryan. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well, my friend. Or my enemy. Are you my enemy? I don't know. Or are you my friend, Bartek? Friend Bartek? No, no, no. Mr. (laughs) Friend Bartek.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not an in-joke. Okay, fair
0: enough. Bartek what's happening? Who are we? What's all this about? What's 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 this podcast? Explain it to me. I'm just a new person. I've just walked in to this forum, and I want to know if there's anything going on here that I want to stay around.
1: Yes, well, as you said, you said the first important point. This is a podcast. Okay. Uh, this is the Spit and Polish Presents podcast, specifically the show Pictures Powwow. It's not the mystery box. We should get back to the mystery box at some point so I yeah. know it. <laughs> um. This is Pictures Power Hour, our weekly show where we review a movie and we give it a recommendation or not.
0: Yes, and the movies have come recommended, whether it's a recommendation from yourself, from me, or our own listening people. That's right, people listening. That's you. You can recommend movies to us. We'll add it to our holly jolly list of movies, which is actually quite small at the moment. We need some more movie recommendations, people. We can't, we can't just keep doing the same movies over and over again. You need to give us some more. But yeah, we are talking about... Movies that have come recommended, but we're not alone for this one, like We had to enlist some people in to discuss the movie that has come recommended. That's the title of this episode, which we'll get into. But Barzek, who have we who have we enlisted? Who have we marooned on this little island,
1: on this little planet, to come talk to us about a movie? We've got some old friends coming back. I think this is their third time on Pictures Pow wow. it Lucky. It is Third time's the charm. I thought you said Lockie. I'm like, no, not Lachlan. (laughs) He has been on twice, but not third yet. Um, No, it is our friends from uh, chat's television podcast, Alan and Magellan.
2: Hello.
3: Your Mickey Mouse is one big, stupid dope.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Well, Mickey Mouse is a I could ruin the so food. You could frighten the customers.
3: <laughs> so, uh, we watched the movie.
2: <laughs> we reference the
0: movie to let everyone know that we actually watched it. Unlike yeah. those other podcasts that don't watch yeah. it and skip over things. Don't like them at all. But uh, Alan, Magellan, which one's which? To let everyone know who's Alan, who's Magellan.
2: I Alan refuse that. Oh, well, there you see, you spoiled it, because I said, Magellan, we should go into the Zoom call and write our names as opposite pe- people to confuse Ryan and Bartek, but no, I'm Alan, oh, I'm Alan, <laughs> oh, that's fair, uh, I'm I'm one of the co-hosts of Chassa Television Podcast. Yeah, Please I'm another you. one, my name's Magellan, what's up everybody?
3: I like the implication by the way, uh <laughs> Ryan, with your role playing of like a new person, that there's somebody out there who's <laughs> so desperately looking for a podcast episode <laughs> about Enemy Mine that they're like, finally, here I am. I don't know who these guys are.
2: It's I'm me. Stranded on a planet.
0: No, no, it's me, because here's a thing, like, I recommended I recommended Enemy Mine. And I find a lot of interesting videos, uh, podcast material that reference and/or review or discuss these type of properties, like something like Enemy Mine, which is a very overlooked, forgotten about sci-fi um, movie from the 80s, or or Babylon 5, which is a show that you guys have covered in the past on on your show, and like. I think it is valuable. Like I, I, like we had a whole show when we started where we talked about unappreciated masterpieces. These these yep. movies that people somewhat know but no one really talks about. And it's like, yeah, Enemy Mine. There is somebody out there who's like, oh, someone's talking about Enemy Mine. Okay, cool, because it's like, it's a movie that exists and it has some merits to it. It has some flaws too, and we'll all talk about it. But like. Yeah, there's someone here who's just like, whose pictures power? Why do they spin Polish? Uh, is Polish like polishing the shoes or Polish the people? And it's it's the people. And if it's a we- bad
1: movie, we polish the turd.
0: Yeah, exactly, Vartek. You got it right there. Um so Alan Magellan, tell us a bit about your show. Chats, a television podcast. It's kind of in the name there. You chat about a television
2: podcast. Which <laughs> podcast do you chat about? <laughs> 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 Um, I don't like to take this one.
3: Sure, go for it.
2: So we chats about TV shows, mainly in the cult classic realm, uh, shows that people love but don't talk about as much, similar to uh, Pictures' Pow Wow, uh, shows that we think deserve either a closer look or a zoom in or a reconsideration, what have you. Uh, We've covered a variety of shows in the past five years, things like uh, Farscape, Babylon 5, as Ryan mentioned, Avatar The Last Airbender, Freaks and Geeks, And we've even dived into the realm of more live action stuff like Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom as well as Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and some more uh, smaller scale short run stuff like Better Off Ted and Pushing Daisies. So, uh, you know, a broad spectrum of television uh, we love TV and we don't know how to stop talking about it. We're broken and we are trapped in this prison. They're <laughs>
0: trapped in the little box and they're they're stuck. And we have to switch the channels, like Mr. Burns running across each t- different <laughs> TV show when he was in mm-hmm. The Simpsons. Remember when he ran over? It? he yeah, says is that like the
1: Bobo episode.
0: You're never going to escape me, and is out of breath. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> even even relevant to this discussion, um, we are talking about Enemy Mine, uh, a movie. People, if you have not seen definitely should. We're going to be talking spoilers about it. It's from 1985. The brief, the brief plot synopsis of it is two warring races, a human and an alien, shoot each other down and land on a barren wasteland planet and have to survive. They have to get over their bigotry, over their prejudice, and learn to cope with one another and survive the elements. And things ensue from there. But why it's also relevant to you guys is... You guys covered uh, Roots on your podcast. And one of the lead actors in this movie was in Roots. Um, Mm -hmm. He was... I can't remember his exact character name, but I kind of remember his role in it. But do you guys want to briefly touch upon that?
3: Yeah. So, we we did... Last summer, we did a stint of a couple miniseries. So, we watched the 90s Pride and Prejudice we watched uh the HBO John Adams miniseries and and in With between our boy those po we watched Paul Everyone loves yeah. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, shout outs to to the homie. Um and then a uh, sandwich in between those we watched the 70s uh miniseries about a family that lives through and beyond um the experience of slavery in the United States which is called Roots and people probably are most familiar with the roots through that being the thing that love that launched LeVar Burton's career. Um, he played Kunta Kinte who is an individual who is, um, captured in Africa and enslaved, uh, and brought to the United States, uh, in around like the late 1700s or early 1800s, I think. Um, and Louis Gossett Jr. Who plays, um, uh, Jerry in this movie, plays Fiddler, this character named Fiddler in um, in Roots, and he is an enslaved man who plays the fiddle, which is why he's called Fiddler. And he kind of is like a mentor, friend, figure to LeVar Burton's character. Um, and they have a lot of discussions about um, what it means to live in an institution like slavery you know to what extent do you resist that institution openly to what extent do you quietly subvert it and he and and Kunta Kinte try to figure out how to navigate those things together um so he's a really interesting and complex character in roots uh and it was cool to see him in this cuz he's a fantastic
0: he's actor. an oscar winning actor baby mm-hmm. i mean yeah mm-hmm. One of the things I know, are like, Bartek's looking like you don't know Roots at all, really. One of the things that I remember getting, uh, I grew up with Star Trek Next Gen, so I knew about Roots because if you watch Next Gen, one of the comments is always, LeVar Burton, who plays Geordie LaForge, has beautiful, beautiful eyes and they cover them with these, the with visor, this visor. Like, yeah. You want to see his beautiful eyes? Watch Roots. He's got like yeah. so expressive, so emotive, so much, so much in those eyes. And then Next Gen's like, you know what we should do? Cover those um for seven <laughs> right. seasons, seven years. Cover those bad boys. And when they're off, put the contacts to make you look blind, so you can't even see properly how beautiful, beautiful those eyes are. And of course, in recent years with Roots, I remember the whole thing of uh, uh, Django Unchained where. Quentin tarantino is basically like one of his things is i wanted to do that scene in roots but instead of like not whipping the white guy i wanted him to whip the white guy and it's like okay yeah. okay Quentin, yeah we got it you watched a lot of shit in the 70s and you're like i could do it better okay we got it rightio <laughs> but uh i mentioned all this because the lead actor is it louis gossett jr or lewis gossett jr
2: i think it's louis Okay, That's how I've always understood it.
0: Yeah, I wasn't too mm. sure. I watched an interview with him about this movie in particular, and he did reference Roots a lot in there too, just because of like... Mm-hmm prejudice and ang- anguish and all of that kind of stuff and like how those two different like these two roles are very different from one another but there's a lot of connective tissue there mm-hmm. so I thought it would be good to have you guys on to talk about it because you ever actually seen this lead act of well, the lead actors in yeah. something before in one of your shows just by happenstance you know it's kind of a neat little thing like <laughs> if we did this a couple years back when we first had you on you'll be like uh, yeah Lewis Scott Jr. from from Bodyguard right? <laughs> right, right, he won an Oscar for al- that
3: we also were looking at the trivia uh, on we watched it on Amazon and you can do like the trivia that pops up or whatever and uh, one of the pieces of trivia was also apparently that they shot a bunch of scenes with Peter Jurisic that didn't make it into the movie so from, uh, from Babylon 5 we, we yeah. almost had a double a double actor crossover but it was not to be
0: so let's talk about our histories and relationship with this Bartek do you have any relationship
1: or history with Enemy Mine? Uh no. I probably have heard the name, but I'd never seen it.
0: Uh Alan, what about you?
2: Uh it's again, it's in that range of like it's the it's an eighties uh like sci fi obscure sci fi movie, so I've definitely heard the name at some point, but I had I knew nothing about this movie before you brought us on.
0: What about you, Magellan? Heard anything about it, seen this before, knew anything?
3: Mm, Not nah. Not a thing. I was surprised to learn that this the director also directed the film Neverending Story, which I haven't seen, but I would see uh, like trailers for it on VHS tapes a lot <laughs> when I was a kid. Weirdly so enough, weirdly enough, I can connection.
0: see that this is the same guy who directed that movie. Yeah, I can. It I- makes
3: a lot of sense, actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah, kind of. So I recommended this. I have a big history with this. I've mentioned this many a times on the podcast, but my family are very much into science fiction. If it's sci-fi, they've watched it, probably. Whether it's good or bad. And if it's bad, they always give it the, 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 the benefit of the doubt of, it's sci-fi, right? Space Fury. <laughs> yeah, like, here's a shitty straight-to-video movie called Space Fury. It's got space in it. And I'm like, okay. Or, like, stuff like that. And Enemy Mine is one of those ones that we've always um, come back to when it came on DVD, we got it, because it just is such a interesting little little... Like, what I like about this is it's just a small corner of what could be a fascinating sci-fi world. We're just seeing one story mm. in this big sci-fi landscape that you could explore bigger, but they decided instead of being a Star Wars... Let's scale it down to just two people on opposite sides. And obviously, as a Star Trek fan, it has major ripples of stories I've seen in Star Trek done, weirdly enough, after this movie. There's an, uh, there's an episode of Star Trek in which Geordie LaForge, just to go back to him again, he is trapped on a planet that is hostile with storms happening. They're trapped in a mine together with a Romulan who hates him because he's like, you're a stinking human and I don't trust you, and you're blind. You're useless to me because his visor doesn't work because it got broken. And they have to overcome their bigotry and hatred of one another and escape the planet. And it's like, I've seen this done, weirdly enough, after Enemy Mine. So I've grown up with this movie. I've always had an infatuation with it. I love the characters. I love the music. I love the tone of the movie. I love how it's just... It's... It's unapologetic in all of the ways. Like, it's unapologetically nice. It's also unapologetically violent. It's also, yeah. like, it's weirdly, like, it's just matter of fact in what it is in all of these varying ways. The makeup, of course, is always something that sticks with you. Like, the alien design of, of, of the drac, which I will get into the name of that in a second, hmm. is, <laughs> is iconic to me. It's just like, how did that not win an Oscar? If it didn't. I don't Mm. think it did. I didn't see any...
1: No, I think that was an iconic snub of the film, yeah.
0: Like, how could you not? Like, I I was blown away, there was this one shot from behind Jerry's head, in which you see, like, the back of his head, and you see these veins, these little red veins on the back, and, like, such attention to detail, because most of the time we're not seeing the back of this guy's head. Mm. But you do every now and then, and it's there, it's like, beautiful, so... I recommended this, I thought, you guys are a fan of sci-fi, Bartek, you're not really into sci-fi as much, but you kind of like these slow burn character study films, Mm -hmm. so I thought we could all benefit from talking about this, but what really spurred me on to talk about this movie, to get these guys on, to get the chats on, is uh, recently Alan was going through the King Kong Godzilla cinematic Hmm. universe that we're going through. Yeah,
2: (laughs) true. Hmm. And do
0: you know why I picked this movie, Alan, by me just saying that? Um, well, not off the top of my head.
2: What's the connection?
0: So, in Kong Skull Island, spoiler alert's a bit for Kong Skull Island, one of the things that most people who have seen that movie universally agree upon is John C. Riley is really good in that movie. Surprisingly so. And his whole entire story is it opens up with him as a young man who's a World War II fighter pilot shooting down a Japanese World War II fighter pilot, and they crash land on Kong Skull Island, and then you don't see them. And then it cuts to the 70s, and you're with our main crew of characters, and then you go to Kong Skull Island, and there's old John C. Riley, and he tells us this magical story about how he and the Japanese guy had to survive together, they learned each other's culture, they became the best of friends, and they survived, and then <laughs> the Japanese guy got killed. And everyone who I've ever met who's watched that movie have said, I would have liked to have seen that movie. I would have liked to have seen their story. And I've always went, that movie exists. It's called Enemy Mine.
2: Hmm. And That's I- actually really fascinating that you mentioned that. No, sorry, it's... I I definitely see the comparison. There aren't a lot. This definitely feels like it's a movie that's happening in the background of a bigger movie. If that makes sense, exactly. Uh, it's very it's very personal in that way, and very it's like these private interiority of these men's lives for I think it's three years they reveal at the end. Yeah. Um. And and you see them come out of it like John C Reilly's character in Skyline. You're like, what happened to you? Why are you the way that you are? That your first instinct in the case of this film is to like choke the first guy you see because he's trying to steal. Uh, your precious necklace that you got from your best friend. Uh, but sorry, I interrupted your point. No, no,
0: no! I wanted you to discuss because you've seen Kong Skull Island and now that I bring this up, do you see where, where I'm coming from this? Because I've met so many people who are like, oh, Kong Skull Island's a fun movie, but those two main characters are like vanilla, white toast, boring. I would have liked John C. Riley to mean, be the main character. I would have liked to have seen that story with John C. Riley, and I'm like, it exists! It's called <laughs> Enemy Mine! It's just more sci-fi! That's, it exists! Yeah. So...
2: Well, I think the Skull Island because it ends up it's trying to be so many things. It's like, yeah. Well, what part of this do you like? Do you like the generic Brie Larson and uh, Thomas Hiddleston being smart and like irregular and just really stoic? No, no one cares about that, but that sells well on posters do you want to watch a bunch of like vietnam sexist soldier boys like di- die horribly i kind of do that guy gets thrown against the cliff real real good ryan and <laughs> shea it's wiggum them, it's yeah whole... that
0: great actor shea wiggum yeah yeah the
2: shea wiggum scene is the reason i watched the the trilogy to be and also i'm gonna see kong versus godzilla that's in a week from now but, but, but that's the thing that's yeah. like it's
0: a big blockbuster movie you can't have this type of movie in that cinematic universe you can't have enemy Mine try to be a, 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 an entryway into what is godzilla will punch king kong in the face but that doesn't matter when people watch that movie most people agree john c Riley is like the emotional heart of that film and it's like wouldn't we like to see his story and i'm like guys it exists and we're going to talk about it today enemy Mine, bartek mm-hmm. what did you think of this
1: So I'll just say on top of that point, I remember a few weeks ago you were telling me about this, and I don't remember the enemy mind point, but when I was watching this film and I didn't know what it was, as soon as the plane, the not the planes, the the spaceships uh, hit each other and they were crashing onto the planet, I thought to myself, oh, I think I know what this is. I think this is that thing Ryan said, I want to see that film. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, when you said last week that you picked a sci-fi film, I'm like, okay, so it's going to be close to your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what did you think? I yeah I enjoyed it. Um I was a I was a little tired while watching it so I probably missed some points but the general gist of it you know it all it all went through my head um not over my head through it so it's through in the, it's in the brain. brain uh ooh same time um, Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> I I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was very uh, like you said before unapologetically genuine.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's a genuine it's like what I like about this movie is someone had a story to tell, Mm -hmm. and they told it. There's some issues I have, namely the third act, but it's genuine. Like, someone sat down and said, this is a story and a universe and characters I want to explore in a film, and somehow we're sitting here and it happened, at least for for you and myself. What did you think about this, Magellan?
3: Um, I really, really enjoyed this film. I mean, it's obviously pretty... Uh it's got some camp to it, which I think could put people off and some, you know, hard sci-fi-ness. But it ended up uh, handling the whole, we're from two different worlds, we're two different races thing a lot more responsibly than I was expecting it to. Mm. Um,
2: so yeah, I ended up really loving this film.
0: What about you, Alan? What did you think of Enemy
2: Mine? It. Yeah, it's a humble film, like you were saying. It's it's a kind of a bummer that they don't really make movies like this anymore. Because I got a lot out of it. I found it really engaging. Um, I think I was saying to Majan before we started recording this with like uh, you know a modern day budget as like a independent film would do great. People would love it. Uh, it's the, I think one of the biggest reasons that it was such a cinematic bomb at the time was you know a it's going against Rocky Four. Uh, <laughs> it's the, best the same rocking. they came out the same month <laughs> yeah but which like grossed you know 10, ten, ten plus times this film and uh, you know audiences might have not been coming to it for this like relatively slow meditation on like our differences and bigotry in 1985 like that just wasn't what people wanted and, and what action there is like you were saying the violence in this movie isn't it's not like exciting and thrilling it often happens like it's almost mundane Uh, And, uh, you know, I also have problems with the third act. I think it starts to get violent just for fun, just for, like, 80s silly fun there. But even there, like, a guy takes a spear to the neck, and that just happens. And they're like, all right, we're moving on. A guy took a spear to the neck. You don't need to watch the blood flow like it's Zack Snyder, or you don't need to watch uh, the guy, like, scream. He just dies, and you move on because death happens in this world. I liked it a lot, a lot.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I think is interesting is, you said a movie like this couldn't be made today, and I agree, but not fully. A movie like this wouldn't be made today as a sci-fi movie. This movie would be done as a gritty, real-world drama in which Jeremy Renner walks into the reservation of a Native American people and says, I'm going to solve a crime here, and I don't like you guys. That's a real movie, by the way. I'm forgetting what it's called, but that's a real movie. Um <laughs> Oof. And like that's what it would be recontextualized. It would be recontextualized into literal, real-world context instead of the sci-fi nature. And look, I love sci-fi, but I think some modern sci-fi stuff like Star Trek Discovery, like Star Wars, so on and so forth, as time has marched forward... They're forgetting that you can use sci-fi as an allegory for real-world issues. Instead, it's just kind of like, yeah, look, Kylo Ren kind of represents a Nazi, but also, don't you love him? And it's like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. Not really. He's a
3: tall, uh, cute boy. Yeah.
0: Not, not, not really. He's a bad man. But don't you want him to be redeemed? Yeah. I'm like, no. Right. No, not no, really. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I think that's kind of missing in the world of sci-fi, but there's a dis- discussion to be had there of like, when I walked into this movie with my wife, she had not seen it before either. She didn't know the plot, and when it started, she just looked at me and before she, she met Je- before you meet Jerry, um, she said, "Oh, is this going to be like a communist allegory? Is this what this movie's going to be about? Like, oh, you know, the enemy that's a big empire, blah blah blah." And it's like, and I looked at her and I said, "No." I just think it's, and I went, I don't want to say too much, but I think it's just generalized bigotry and, like, fear of the other. It's not necessarily like Star yeah. Trek, where it's like, and the Romulans are the Romans in space, or they are the Klingons. They are those evil Russians. Like, yeah. to me, it had a more of a generalized feel. Like, you could see a little bit of everything in here. Like, I personally got, like, um, indigenous people vibes as well, especially with them being, like, they're dwelling on the land and all of that, but also obviously you've hired a, a black man to play this role, and mm-hmm.
3: and well, the- and a man who very famously played an enslaved man in Roots, right? Yeah. And there's you know the imagery of the drock being forced to work and being whipped and mm-hmm. like that's very much in the a- film at the antagonistic
1: as well. mine, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> God,
2: but <laughs> they know what they're doing. But I think the part of the reason this movie doesn't feel too dated. Is like exactly like you're saying. They're not like it means this. It is very open to interpretation. Mm. It's arguably a little safe because of that. But I think that that is definitely to the film's uh, benefit that they they didn't choose to like say anything more explicit about it. It occasionally, you know, it's them yelling about exactly like you're saying indigenous uh, ar- arguments about indigenous people's rights and like oh well you also conquered probably you conquered this as well and like Americans conquered this and we're all. You know, imperialism stretches beyond just, like, the white man.
0: Yeah, I mean, Uh, we know we're in Australia where it's still, like, a current thing. It's like we're still proudly a part of the Commonwealth. (laughs) But I wanted to discuss this issue here, which is some people hate some people love and some people feel indifferent about the idea of using Mm sci-fi to be so allegorical about race and just generalized issues of these matters like i've met people who are like i hate it that say just to refer to enemy mind no one said this about enemy mind because i've never met anyone who's ever watched this movie outside of myself but just to say some people would say oh It's so, like, gross and pandering and racist that they've hired this black guy to be, like, this enslaved race and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But then you have the opposite end where it's like, well, if they hired a white guy, well, then obviously it's unfair because they're making an allegory to this and you're a coward if you don't do this. And then there are people like, I don't like sci-fi that's allegorical to real world issues at all.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, I hate to break it to those people, but it's all like that. It's all, it's all there's nothing that's
0: not like that.
2: I'm so sorry to break it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: like it's a, it's a tricky issue because Star Trek's had many people come under like it's come under flack for a whole multitude of reasons. Like the most iconic one that people, oddly enough, are divided on is there's the famous image of the the race in Star Trek: The Original Series where one half of them is black, one half of them is white, and they're angry against mm-hmm. one another because you know their bigotry comes from your right half is white my right half is black i hate you that type of thing and people look at that and go that's that's terrible like and one of them people go they should have hired black actors to play that role and then no they shouldn't have hired this and it's like where do we all fall on this because i'm personally like can we just be happy mm-hmm. that we've got a sci-fi story like i get it <laughs> like i get all these complex <laughs> issues but i'm just like look i get what the writers are getting at and with enemy mine I get it. I'm like, cool. Louis Gossett Jr. Louis Gossett Jr. He plays it well, but like, I can see people. I've seen this argument done many a times. What do you think about
1: this Bartek? So sorry that you said a lot there. What was the central? Mainly, question?
0: mainly just coming down to how do you feel about something like sci-fi, for instance, right, right. a high-concept genre, whether it be sci-fi, fantasy, so on and so forth. Um, using real world stuff like race for allegorical purposes and the issues that could come around from that
1: Um, well obviously since I think I'm the one among this group who's not as big into sci-fi as everyone else um, having become friends with you Ryan and hearing your stories about growing up with sci-fi and how much you love sci-fi and all of the incredible detail in which um, sci-fi has been used to tell all these stories it has in my head like kind of actually given this genre a bit of an identity, because growing up, you know, whatever I would see, like, you know, Zathura or Star Wars or whatever, it would be this just kind of generic thing of like, oh yes, sci-fi just means a story that has- Robots. You know, uh, any sort of machinery or scientifically explained thing as like, you know, a a visual spectacle or whatever. So- um, actually getting to see a sci-fi film like this that does utilize things like that actually feels for me like I'm kind of seeing the world that you've described to me over the years. So I appreciate that I got to see a film like this and um, that it touches on allegorical things like racism or bigotry in general, as you said, mm. um, in this way. I, it, it feels fulfilling for me.
0: Yeah, what do you guys think about this? You guys have had to cover a lot of shows that hit a lot of different spectrums. Obviously, you guys talked about mm-hmm. like lots of big real-world stuff whether it would be done well like Roots or whether it would be done terribly like The Newsroom according to you. Um <laughs> or Babylon 5, or Farscape. Like mm-hmm. where do you guys fall fall on this stuff?
3: Um yeah, I mean, I think the the sort of performance of this film at the box office says a lot just to your point Ryan about how people feel about a sci-fi film that is like without pomp and is meant to be this very grounded allegorical story it it did not do very well at all um, and uh, it, it was interesting to see a film that is clearly drawing on a lot of the visual trappings of Star Wars, like the the opening feels very Star Wars-y, the human ships feel Star Wars-y, even the planet feels a lot like Dagobah specifically at times. Yeah. Um, but it it was interesting to see that. Um, but then for the substance of the film to be uh a lot more specific in I think what it is allegorically trying to do, as opposed to Star Wars, where it's like I guess, you know, George Lucas was like, oh, the Empire is the United States and the rebels are the Viet Cong and it's like a Vietnam thing or something. Um, but it isn't really super deliberate about communicating that to the audience to mm-hmm. the point where people can just watch Star Wars and like not even see that. And I think this is a film where you you can't help but see the allegory that they're going for. Yeah, And when you do that, you run the risk of, of it ending up being kind of pat, like, oh, isn't it bad that people discriminate and shouldn't we get along can end up being a a pretty, uh, you know, kind of rote story. But I do think that the way that this film uses the sci-fi elements to twist and surprise you with the, the particular beats that the story goes on, I think ends up making it work. Uh, but you do have to sort of like be on board with it being, an allegorical experience because that's what it is. I don't think that there is much sci-fi, pure sci-fi fun to this movie, besides the ways in which it services that story.
2: Mm. Yeah, I um, I want to jump in briefly. I don't know how much value there is because we're four people on this podcast who enjoyed at least relatively enjoyed this movie. Um, and how much value there is in like bringing up the straw man argument that like some people don't think that sci-fi should have a message. I almost don't even want to entertain a thought like that because I think that this film does it. We all agree, like has a message, you know, we're not all, we're all very different. It's pretty simple, but like I said, it succeeds in doing that small thing of like, you know, our languages are pretty similar and we can learn from each other by talking and, and empathy is important. We save each other's lives. And we all have the same background. We have families. We have, uh, you know, food and, disc- and and culture. These are things that are shared amongst everyone. This is useful to the average viewer in the 80s. And I think it works for that. And like I said before, uh, to say that any science fiction or any fiction, to be honest with you, mm. doesn't have at least some, some sort of message that you can read into it is very immature and uh, kind of like puts down the, the genre as a whole uh to say that that it's just like oh well, some of it doesn't mean anything you can't look into it i don't agree with that
0: <laughs> yeah i i i've been i just been thinking about it a lot cuz i've been engaging a lot of sci-fi discord at late, discourse at lately and just lots of differing topics and it's like especially prevalent in sci-fi and fantasy genres because they are so heightened and there's always that thing right with genres like comedy is looked down upon in comparison to dramas like oh comedies can't hit you as hard because they're just trying to make you laugh it's like have you watched planes trains and automobiles that fucking makes mm-hmm. me cry every time Ugh. But you know what I'm saying? Like know. in sci-fi, you guys have covered it. Sci-fi, fantasy, all these things. There is a level of, oh, that's just for niche people, and the, you know, you know, there's this level of animosity towards it. And like for people like Bartek, main sci-fi stuff is very pulpy, generic. Like yeah. doesn't have, doesn't always hit as hard as it could. That's why people like like Star Trek, for instance, because it really does hit the nail, you know, it does really hit the nail there, like, it really
1: does go for full sci-fi as well as all the messages and whatever, like... Yeah, for a bit of extra context, like, uh, growing up, my mum, whenever the topic of sci-fi would get brought up, she would always say, like, oh, I'm not into that, the only ones I like is, like, Terminator, that's it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bartek's mom is a uh, film aficionado. Hence she's going to watch Freddy Got Fingered very soon. So, um <laughs> <laughs> masterpiece. <laughs> um yeah, I, I you know, I just want to bring this up because it is one of the things where, you know, I've seen people talk about movies like this in which it's like, "Oh, yes, and the black guy is the alien and he's the other." And it's like <sighs> okay, like, I get it, but then, you know, you have others that would complain, oh, well, they didn't get a personal... And it's like, okay, guys, can we just watch the movie? Like, what Alan said, are you gonna get all these messages or not? Like, it's just, like, you know, and at the end of the day, it's just like, what I come down to it too is, did Louis Gossett Jr., for instance, how did he feel about it? He loved it. He still talks about this character all the fucking time. He wishes he could still play him. He does the voices at conventions. Like, he fucking loves his characters. like, he's happy. So there you go, like, you know, it's uh, that type of thing. But I love this movie. I think it's an interesting idea, like uh, what Majel was talking about. It takes this kind of, like, veneer of, like, oh, look, it's a Star Wars-y thing. Look, people are flying around in spaceships, and they're cackling when they kill other people and fist-pumping. And it's like, yay, that very American attitude of, like, militaristic value of, like, yes, I've taken a life for my patriotism, yes. And then the movie's like, guys, guys that's actually pretty bad. That's actually pretty gross. And the film's like, let's explore how gross that is. Well, even, like,
1: yeah. before that, you had the opening narration, and as soon as it mentioned the thing about the, um, was it the Drax? Drack. The, as soon as it mentioned the drack uh, arguing for their squatters right, I knew that, like, oh, okay they're not going to be, like, totally bad guys.
0: Earth is shit in this universe. And that's (laughs) one of my big ticks for sci-fi. Earth is shit. That's why I love Babylon 5, because Babylon 5 is just, like, does that thing where it slowly reveals to you that Earth is pretty shit, but then when you rewatch it, like, Mm -hmm. oh, shit from the beginning, honey. But, um... Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. I think what this film does well about, um, this... What you are saying, Ryan, about criticizing the the problems of Earth's like space imperialism is it really makes you track that entire train of thought through the eyes of Dennis Quaid's character, um, Will, Willis Davidge, mm. because it's like he spends all this time stra- marooned on the planet with Jerry. And then he ventures off to go look for signs of help or whatever And there's this moment where he comes across the evidence of of humans uh, like strip mining the planet, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's just these like you almost wouldn't look at them yourself, but these innocuous seeming remnants of a mining operation. Mm -hmm. But they're treated as like this horrific thing. And he sees it that way. Um, And then he sees the skull of of the Drak that's been killed by those humans. Um, and I think it's moments like that that really speak to what this movie is good at, which is immersing you in the world and the logic of Willis Davidge specifically as a character, mm. um, and seeing the way that his worldview is changing through the way that the camera starts to look at things in in different ways, and then you know once you finally see like humans again. Uh, suddenly they're like the ugliest, scariest humans that you've ever seen in your life, because your whole perspective on humanity and Earth has has completely changed along with his.
0: Yeah, I, I you get a sign early on that the movie is going to subvert this beginning, right? Because at the beginning, if you don't know what this movie is about, you're like, oh, it's a typical sci-fi thing where they're shooting the bad guys and cheering and being like, yes. Yes, we just murdered other people, and then they're yeah, and really making ups- like yeah, making like quips with each other. Yeah, quips, and the music's all jaunty. Yeah, uh, fat and, woman. Like, ah. Yeah, and the fat lady, and and then and then like when one of theirs gets killed, it's like how fucking dare they? Then they take a solemn moment, and it's like yeah, like you said, Majan, it's campy, but that specific moment's campy by design because it's leading you down right. this road of like oh, right. it's a Star Wars adventure. But what really touches me is when he crashes on the planet and he drags the other guy out, and the other guy's like dying. He's like dying mm-hmm. wish. He's just like stop making fun of her. You know she right, doesn't, she, right. she doesn't oh, like yeah. it. Right. And I like
2: I... so uh, Magellan actually called out that line a little bit later. Where, like pretty early in the movie was like, "Oh, this movie is about him like understanding that the world is changing and it's about people learning to empathize." Um mm. because again, placing this in 1985, you got to remember where America is at and where we what we're worried about. Mm. And this movie is telling you Oh, like jokes like that about like a woman's weight and a woman being like sexually promiscuous, what have you, are getting old fashioned. This is the movie telling you like, hey, in twenty twenty ninety two 2092 or whatever, we're we're kind of like moving past that. Like, let's let's be a little bit uh, mature here and and empathize and understand that she's a person, too. And then later when we meet Jerry, it's like, oh, well, he's the bad guy. But actually, aren't we also the baddies? You know, like that classic uh, that clip from the Mitchell whatever Webb. that show. Is. Yeah, Mitchell web. Yeah. um you know it's it it really is like grabbing the viewer by the shoulders and saying uh every we're all people like we're all going to die we we need to grow up together or we cannot subsist we cannot progress as a society even in the far flung future of 2090 whatever uh unless we learn to listen to each other and understand each other uh it's very strongly suggesting that like you gotta come together, guys, we're gonna die. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, you know, that line from... from I'm forgetting that character's name off the time, I had, like, the younger guy who's dying, like, it's also, like, what, what holds this movie up is the performances, right? Every, like, most of the performances are top-notch. Our main hitters are really hitting it out of the park, and even this guy, who's, like, a small, minor bit part, when I mean, he's dying there, and he's just, like, basically pleading with him, stop being cruel, I felt for him. I'm like, oh, fuck, this guy was a huge, like, this guy was a person. Because before that, in the scene where they're flying around and doing all the quips, they're characters. Like, oh, they're sci-fi characters, and they're just doing their shooty-shooty, and they're quippy And He's the young, young guy who doesn't know he's in over his head. But then he fucking dies. And he's like, in his dying moments, he's like a real person who like, like wants needs and desires and, and a viewpoint. And you would expect
3: that uh character the stereotypical version of him to say like tell linda i love her Mm -hmm. or whatever but instead he's like stop calling linda names and just the the little twist of that and the little surprise of that is a as as we're saying a pretty essential like thematic statement that the film is making of like this is what this movie is about
1: yeah i feel like an idiot i thought that was a
0: woman No, it's a guy. Okay. No, it's a guy. It's just 80s hair Bartek. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Talking (laughs) about gender, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. I
2: love it. I love this.
0: I always knew that this movie was like, oh, Jerry is like non-binary you know he's they've got no gender really they got like any you know
1: sexual reproduction
0: yeah and gives birth and whatever but i forgot until so watching it now in a modern context and realizing we're going to be talking about it in a in a podcast i was like i'm gonna note down if they misgender this alien and call call them and well it they refer to jerry as an it throughout the movie um by him or uh, and the most you get is like calling jerry a mother Mm. And Jerry's like, I'm mm-hmm. not a mother. And it's like, okay, pregnant people then. When it, like, moves on. And I'm like, the yeah. film actually very consistently managed to stay in line with itself in that regard. Like even though our main character is bigoted there was no there was no real moment where he's like you man alien blah blah he's like well the drac, they have no gender so we're going to abide by that it's an it which at first is used as a derogatory statement in its own right where it's like it's an uh, it's an other it's an alien but then as it goes along it's just like no 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 that's their pron- that's their pronouns and then i really like the touch of they referred to as just a parent. There's no mother, father, all that, just parents. And it's like, oh yeah, your parent, you know, was my friend and yeah. all that. And I thought that was really interesting. I wasn't expecting it to actually be that with this. I was expecting like, oh yeah, they're gonna make jokes or whatever, or there's gonna be this, 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 but like, you watch a movie from nineteen eighty five where there's a non-binary alien yeah. and they treat it respectfully, which fucking Star Trek Discovery can't even do in the modern day. <laughs>
2: So, well, this movie, this movie ends up being, uh, I'm sure John's going to say something similar to this. It kind of ends up being three movies uh, Mm -hmm. because you could end it on like Jerry and Willis learn to live uh, in harmony. And then one of them dies when finally they get picked up by a search party and it's sad and we learned about empathy. And then the second one is like, uh, Willis picks up Jerry's child and delivers him to the people. But, you know, he, like someone has to die, you know, Mm. that's like where each of these acts could end. But he's just like, Uh, reluctantly survives both of those parts. And then act three, he's like, I don't know why I'm alive anymore. I just want to find this kid and go home. Like, let me just, all of this is fake anyways. He's fully disillusioned and in like Mm -hmm. 80s action man mode, uh, which I enjoy, but I think it's very silly. Well, it was kind Um, of like a
0: reversal of what he was at the beginning, right? Like at the beginning, he was like the normal action man at the end. But then at the end, he's like, no, no, fuck this. I'm going to shoot my way out of here and save the kid. (laughs) Fuck this whole thing.
2: Yeah, yeah." It just, it really threw me for a loop in the second act when it was like, oh, sure, Jerry's pregnant. Like, you buy into it pretty quickly, but <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure oh, in the 80s, I'm like, I'm sure in the 80s, I'm going like, what in the world is this movie? This is too right. weird.
3: Right. Well, and when we were watching it together, Alan, both of us in that scene, because the the way they lead into it is... Uh Willis goes to explore the planet and Jerry's like, I can't go with you, and is a little bit cagey about it. And then Willis gets back, and uh, and Jerry's like, Okay, the reason I couldn't go with you, and we were both like, say that you're pregnant. Say that you're we're on. like being funny, we're being cheeky. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're like, You're not actually gonna say that you're pregnant right now. That's yeah. not what's gonna happen. And it keep the scene keeps building the tension <laughs> to the point where Jerry's like, I'm I am with child or whatever. Uh, which for us, that was a moment of like, oh my God, I can't believe the movie just did that. And then the response from, uh, from Willis in that moment is just joyous laughter. Yeah. Like the, I think what's really powerful about putting this movie in the sci-fi context that it's in is it shows you what it really looks like to have like radical empathy with another being like he, he's never seen a being asexually reproduced. He's never even seen a drop before. He's never, yeah. He didn't even know that Jerry was capable of that, but he's so filled with joy because it's like, Oh, it's a child of my friend. What a happy thing. And then to, (laughs) deliver the baby himself by plunging his hands into Jerry's guts and ripping him open is also this like incredibly powerful, well-acted moment that does so much more to communicate to you what it means to like truly, truly uh, cross that threshold of empathy. than you could communicate in a story if they were just like two human beings Hmm. going through the same plot.
0: What did you think about this, Bartek? I mean, this is a movie from the 80s. It's sci-fi. Sci-fi inherently. With stuff like Star Trek, they touch upon these social issues that we mentioned. Did you really expect that a movie from the 1980s is going to just proudly have a a non-binary asexual alien that gives birth? And, like, not even the give birth part, but just that alone. And, like... You know, like, we've we've actually been saying throughout this, like, Jerry, and we've been saying he, but the movie never says that. They just call him it or they, and just Jerry.
1: Yeah, that would be one detail that I didn't fully take in. Like, obviously, I got the whole thing of, like, oh, they reproduce asexually. I think there was even a line about how they don't have men, women, genders. Yeah, um, and then
0: voiceover, he's just like, they they don't, they've, they're, they're the two genders trapped in one body. That was his base understanding. Which leads to a
2: weird, it does lead to a weird moment where he's like, oh, it's beautiful that like the only time a woman and a woman human get together is to have a baby that's so beautiful. And I was like, this is weird. Oh, I'll talk
0: about <laughs> that. I think that's weird. an interesting idea <laughs> and I think it makes sense it is, for Jerry. But like, what did you think? Of course. let so continue on about that.
1: Um, yeah, he before he had the line where he was like, just showed up. He showed the 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 belly, and he was like, "Oh, you're pregnant." He said something about he had a variation of like caring for two or something. I'm like, yeah. "Oh, pregnant! Wow." Yeah. Um. So it, it didn't hit me as big of a surprise during the line, but yeah, it, it was very interesting. Mm. Um. Yeah, I, I I really didn't consider that. Uh, I guess because you were rewatching it, so you you mm. were looking out for it. Yeah, that whole thing of. It, they had a consistent script with mm. regards to how they reference him they like they never say he or whatever him They're, yeah they it
0: it's it. and it mainly and just and then parents and stuff like that which is which is great and then even the even the even then like they 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 follow it up too from the very beginning of like well they don't have any kind of sexual reproduction organs or that and when we first meet Jerry Jerry's fully naked running around, and it's just, like, smooth because they're a lizard. Yeah. Fish, frog, toad thing. Amphibian. um, And it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, they're going to do that because it's a 90 movie. But then even then, like, internally within the movie, it's like, well, of course they don't have exter- genitals or external genitals or anything. Of course it's going to be, like, smooth. Like, of course, it all makes sense. Like, it all adds up, I was really blown away by that, like, I I wasn't necessarily looking out for it on the watch, but I knew it was there, and then I was just like, oh, well, we'll see how it goes, and I was, and then I was paying attention, I'm like, ah, they're staying consistent with this, and again, like, you know, there's some modern sci-fi stuff. I just slam Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery is a non-binary character, and they just don't know what to fucking do with them. And they just don't. <laughs> they, they start the whole show with, those like, oh, and she's a her, by the way. And then randomly it's like, oh, I'm actually a them. It's like, well, why didn't you start out like this? Enemy Mind managed to figure
1: that fucking shit out. Yeah, it wasn't, but, to- it wasn't tokenism.
0: But, uh, yeah, I thought it was an interesting idea. Obviously, we've all gravitated towards the Jerry gets pregnant thing. Um, it's interesting. I mean, how can you not? I mean it's cool. I think it's just cool. Um because in sci-fi it's like a lot of it is aliens. Aliens are just like us except for they're fish people or they have like bumps on their heads. But like this movie is like no 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 we're going to take it to more of that. We're going to we're going to say they don't have a gender. They're going to say that they only have five names in their family lineage. We're going to like they they keep adding on to these details that make the Drac feel like a real species that exists hence it feels like there's a bigger universe going on inside of like that's outside of this little story so the idea of like they don't even get to choose it just happens one day you just become pregnant and it seems like from their societal standpoint that's a joy it's not like it's a burden even though they're at war right now it doesn't seem like oh and then you fall pregnant what a terrible like you know i mean it feels Mm. like they celebrate Life, which is obviously very much what Jerry's whole thing is, and like when they get into the rituals and the and the family lineage and stuff, like life family is very important yeah, to the Drac, who have been represented for a majority of the film as this the
1: alien other. Yeah, and it's also interesting that you get with the Jerry character, um, like the Two very different allegorical elements of, like, you know, the male warrior who fights and is, you know, seems very aggressive and Yeah, a warf type, yeah. And then once you get into the pregnancy stuff, you see this, like, a lot of, like, motherhood conventions from the character that, like, changes it up, but is still, like, the same person that we've seen develop.
0: Yeah, and Louis Gossett Jr. plays it so perfectly. It doesn't feel like, oh, and now I'm playing it femme or anything. Like, it feels mm. so consistent like eh, we gotta we gotta talk about it he's the best part of the movie right Louis Gossett Jr. is he yes oh, yeah. okay
2: by far Yes, I will say Dennis Quaid's like uh, goofy ass like American ass man character it, d- <laughs> it didn't get annoying on me the way it does with a lot of uh characters of that type but no, Louis Gossett Jr. is acting. Well, Dennis Quaid just has correct. like yeah. a,
0: a realness to him. I, I personally like Dennis Quaid, I know some people don't. As an actor, I do. He's just one of those guys. He's one of the few people. Unlike Kevin Costner, I don't believe Kevin Costner as a blue collar guy. I believe Dennis no, Quaid no. as a blue collar. Like I could see Dennis Quaid just driving a regular ass car and just walking over mm-hmm. and grabbing a beer. Like he feels like a real. Like dude, and that's why in this movie, where you're in a heightened sci-fi world, where he's playing the machismo man who has to become a real dude, it feels real yeah. because Dennis Quaid's strength is just he feels like just he feels like a guy who just happened to fall into Hollywood. Mm. I mean, it makes sense. His brother, his older brother Randy, like four weeks into being in Hollywood, got nominated for an Oscar. So, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, mm. yeah, Dennis, like Louis Gossett Jr. He he's the main appeal of the movie. What about you, Bartek? What did you think of think of Louis Gossett Jr.? I imagine you're not too familiar with him, and what did you think of his kind of performance underneath all of this makeup?
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with him, so this was a very real treat. Yeah he he's the most multifaceted character in the film. Like I said earlier, you know, the starts off this really aggressive guy um character a guy character um even on the poster there's this just antagonistic kind of mm. thing where they're looking at each other and it's clear that the title is referring to the fact that they are their, each other's enemies at the beginning. Not
0: there's a mine not, in it that's an enemy. The,
1: not, mm-hmm. not, do you know the <laughs> trivia about that? By we the way,
0: we do. We will talk about it.
2: It's yeah. stupid. Yeah. yeah, yeah when yeah. you first, pick, I, was, I just read it before we
1: started. <laughs> when you picked the film, I had it in my head like, oh, I'll make a joke that I thought the title was about like an explosive mine. But then when I read the trivia, and it was like, oh, the other meaning was like it was a mine owned by the enemy. I'm like, oh, that's even dumber than my idea.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's stupid. It's also my... It's a pl- It's a play on my enemy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a possessive.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. It was. It's a great anyway. title, but, like, the studio was like, no, you're going to put a mine in there where you have a fight scene at the end and it's stupid. It doesn't yeah, even make sense. That's... <laughs>
2: perfect explanation for why the fight scene at the end is so weird and out of place. It's like, well, we needed a mine, and the movie was basically done. Is, so? Wait, is that so- what happened? That's what happened. Yes. That's the, why it's- literally, what the, the f-
0: studio said the audience will not get why it's called Enemy Mine unless oh you put a mine God. in there.
1: That's so stupid. A mine owned by the enemy.
0: A mine by, no, owned by the enemy who are the humans at that point. Yep. I was not, when
3: the mine showed up, I was not like, oh, good, yeah. the mine. Same here, same here.
1: <laughs> what? That's why I've been calling it the antagonistic mind this whole time.
3: Yeah, <laughs> but, I thought you were coming up with that joke, Bartek.
1: I didn't no, 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 that. no, the joke is Hollywood.
2: <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I, Mine, enemy, enemy, mine. I
0: love Louis Gossett Jr. as an actor. I've seen him in quite a few things. I, I think I should see him in more. He's one of those... Even though he's an Oscar-winning actor and he's in Roots and all these acclaimed things, I still think of him as an underrated actor in a lot of ways. Like, I don't feel like people talk about him a lot in the caliber of like great actors because ah, there's just something about him. He has just such a presence. He's just like I, yeah, warmth.
3: I think what he's, I think what he's really great at is leading the scene from the supporting mm. actor role in it. Like when he's in Roots and he's Fiddler, he's really setting the tone of of the interactions that Fiddler and Kuntakinte are having with each other because he plays a somewhat similar role. Where to this film, where his character is um, sort of engaging Kunta Kinte's hostility and and going with him through this arc of of like having a more nuanced understanding of the world. Obviously those nuances are different between that and this. But like if you think about it, all of Dennis Quaid's emotional shifts in this film are following the examples set by uh Louis Gossett Jr.'s character. Uh any sort of moment where he's like being a little bit softer or asking more questions or whatever, it's always Jerry who's initiating those things. And I honestly think that Dennis Quaid is doing as good of a job as he is in this film because he's like reacting to what Louis Gossett Jr. is, and that's giving the thing
0: him. with a film like this. It's easy for us to see it and go, oh, Louis Gossett Jr. or just, but they need both of them. They both need each other. Bartek and I know this as actors. One feeds off the other. Yeah, it's chemistry. Right. Simple as that. Like we've seen many a movies with great actors paired up together, but they have no chemistry. There's no there's no formula there and it falls even though you know they're great actors it can still fall and like Dennis Quaid yeah like he's playing the typical protagonist role and Louis Gossett Jr like I said is his stuff is more interesting he's feeding into his, the other character arc but like Dennis Quaid has to play it a certain way for Louis Gossett Jr.'s alien character to be tolerable for the audience because, let's be honest, some people may not like this performance because it's really far out there. Like, let's not beat around the bush. It's a weird like, so many weird choices but they all feel like the right choice not just because of the direction but because of how Dennis Quaid reacts off of him. Like, at first, Dennis Quaid's like, this is all weird, but then he becomes acclimatized to it. Like, one of my favorite mo- moments from the movie, visually, is when we see Jerry in the rain. And he's, like, contorting his, they're contorting their body all around in the rain, like, when they're near the, mm. the little pond mm-hmm. at the beginning, the little lake at the beginning. And all the rain's coming down. And, like, Dennis Quaid's standing there just like a normal person with the mouth open, drinking in the rain while... while fucking jerry is dancing around and all that and then at the end of the movie mm-hmm. you see their home planet and it's mainly water and you're like oh yeah they're they're like water so of course he's reacting because jerry's reacting positively to this water but it's like so weird and bizarre and alien and of course it all makes sense but yeah you need the two of them need to bounce off each other and that's why also the second half of the movie works well too because dennis quaid and that kid i think they have amazing chemistry too i don't know if anyone yeah. else agrees but that kid he was great Agreed. and they both bounced off each other really well. Like that kid unfortunately does become a stupid plot device at the end, but then I I'll, I'll get into the third act. But like before that I'm like, this doesn't feel like oh, and it's the kid actor who they chose because they're cute or whatever. It's like they felt like they chose a kid who who worked well with Dennis Quaid and Dennis Quaid worked well with them and they all matched up. Like uh-huh. Yeah. This is an acting movie as well as just a sci-fi movie. This is a movie you watch mm-hmm. to appreciate actors honing in their craft and delivering it onto the screen. Louis Gossett Jr. obviously gets everyone's attention because he's just choosing all of the weirdest things. Like Bartek, like, I know you have a harder time than I do with understanding different accents. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about it? Because he's doing this crazy voice. Did you Did you find it oddly enough alienating?
1: Um, <laughs> I, I did struggle. A, <laughs> I did struggle a little bit. I probably might have uh, had a better time if I turned the volume up a bit more, but um. Yeah, you, you get the points most of the time, because, and this was something I wanted to bring up, an, an element that we haven't directly mentioned is that there's um, an early part of the two main characters' relationship is a language barrier that gets mm. broken, and they right. have to, right. at first, work around that, mm. and you have a little bit of a time skip where, in, in that time skip, they've relatively gotten each other's languages so that they can communicate effectively.
0: Especially Jerry. That's the most important thing. Jerry actively tried. Yes. And then Dennis later has to ask, okay, teach me the language. Yes,
1: because this film, if you look it up, the language is in English, so English (laughs) is the one they have to focus on. Um, Yeah, and as a little, another again, multifaceted, this is a representation of a character who is speaking English as an alternative language, Mm. and you get that... um, through you know, not proper grammar, mm. and um, you get a little bit of characterization in when you learn when you hear what he says. It's all in the context of oh, uh, our main character um, Willis, right? Yeah, yeah Davidge Will- Willis Davidge, <laughs> ugly head. <laughs> Anything <laughs> that that Jerry is saying, it comes from the context of Willis taught him that. So hence the Mickey Mouse reference is like a <laughs> you know uh, w- w- what was that film?
0: Um, I don't know. You're thinking. Bartek's using his thinking face. Golf balls, I don't know <laughs> Bartek uh, is loading. Uh, full metal
1: jacket. Full metal jacket. <laughs> like, they sing the theme song at the end. It's like, oh, this American icon. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I... One of the things that I find interesting, too, is my wife watched this and she said, of course, Jerry learns the language first, because this has to be in English. But then as the movie goes yeah. along, I would say at least 25% of this movie is in Mm -hmm. the alien language. Like, there's just whole scenes in which they're just singing and talking and doing the vocalization of that alien language. And there's no subtitles, or at least on my copy, there wasn't on DVD. And it's just like, there's at least like (laughs) 10 minutes of this movie that is just Jerry's language happening. And that's kind of cool. And they spread it throughout. it, So it's not just like, like, obviously the film has to have it in English. Obviously Jerry has to, because we we speak English. (laughs) I mean, Come on. Could you imagine if... The, I mean, you know what that movie is? The Star Wars <laughs> Holiday Special. Oh, no, no. I thought you were going to tell your District <laughs> 9 story. Oh, oh, I'll oh, tell my District 9 story. So, my good friend Zaki is infamous for downloading movies illegally mm-hmm. and without nah. subtitles. Um, he watched District 9. And oh, he God. said to me, I really sense. like District 9, but it was a bold artistic choice that they didn't subtitle the aliens. And I just laughed. I nearly cracked <laughs> a rib laughing. I died. And I said, no, Zaki, they do have subtitles. There's a whole story. <laughs> and he was sitting there going, really? How there was an artistic choice to have the shrimps, the prawns, just, just talk like that. And I, I imagine oh, him sitting gosh. there watching a movie that's nearly two hours long. And most of it is... <laughs> Noises, and he's just sitting there
1: <laughs> nodding his head, going, Mm-mm, This is really interesting. Wow, so I wonder what they're amazing.
0: saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like- God, and did you say you this was happening like in the middle of a class? Yeah, or something? he was telling
0: me this in high school, and I and I died, and then I told my teacher, Mister uh-huh. McCauley, He walked over, and he's like, Ryan, what's so funny? And I'm like, Sir, have you seen District Nine? He's like, Of course I have. <laughs> <You explained> <laughs> <laughs> of course I have. <laughs> course and he goes, and I, and I told him, and he went, Zaki, really, and just walked away. <laughs> 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 and he's still infamous like that. Like Zaki gave me a copy. Years back of um what's that movie Snow Piercer where mm-hmm. half of it's in fucking Hell Korean yeah. and it didn't have uh, subtitles. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm uh-huh. like and I, and I I grabbed my fist and I shook it in the air and went Zaki but, yeah, I was just curious of what you thought about that language stuff, because I know you, Bartek, get a little tripped up on accents that are a little bit heavier like we've Bartek and I have watched a video that's of an Australian yeah, man who's one. got like a uh, what we call an ocker accent, which is just a thick Australian no. accent, and Bartek said, "What language is this?" no, no that, like it's it's no. English It's like when
1: another <laughs> character spoke in a much clearer accent, I was like, "Oh, this is in English, yeah." And then I understood uh-huh. it. Then he understood and it. I've re I've rewatched that video and like, yeah, he's he's speaking English from the beginning.
0: But um what did you guys think of of, of uh the, the Drac language and the whole kind of culture that you kinda of pick up as this movie progresses?
3: Yeah, I um I think it's it's interesting what you were saying before about the ways in which this movie makes the drac more interesting than just like humans but they're lizards mm. um and I think that's that's definitely true like there are science fiction elements that are um just cool about them. The design is incredible the the biological information that we learn about them the sound of the language is really unique I think i wanted to know more about them because there were times where it kind of just felt like, Oh, they're at the end of the day, they're just the sort of nice, innocent other aliens. And we shouldn't be so mean to them, which in and of itself can be a a problematic way to tell this story. Like if Mm -hmm. I were to criticize the film in any way, I think, you know, since it ultimately centers the like, white male earthling guy. Yeah. It's about him. And so the uh Drock characters aren't really like having the emotional arc of of the story. When you say that Jerry and does
0: at the beginning, because he's just as hostile and just as angry as Dennis Quaid, but he's more willing to give yeah. over. Yeah, that's that's
3: true. I, I, I agree with that. Um and I kind of I found it interesting they were having one conversation at one point where jerry where they were fighting like after they had this beautiful moment where they were talking about the talman yeah uh and like you know be nice to other people then they get into like this fight where they choke each other mm. when the meteor shower is going on and they're kind of both arguing that they both w- have like imperialist claims to this region yeah and i kind of wanted to see the version of the film where the Drock are in some ways just as at fault for the things that they're doing as the humans are um, yeah
0: and that's the fault of that's the unfortunate thing of it being such a small story because you do get glimpses like at the beginning the drac are the yeah. one that attack that attack the humans right have flown along and right. they attack first so it's like you get little things but that's the thing of if this is a tv show like babylon five
3: <laughs> yeah you get to explore
2: that but over more time. You that's... get to hear all about the Drock on Babylon Five. Yes,
0: can we talk <laughs> I...
2: about that briefly, Bartek? You look yeah, yeah. I know confused. you want to.
0: In Babylon Five, there's actually quite a few things that's crossing over here. In Babylon Five, a show that came out several years later. I'm not saying that JMS watched this movie and subconsciously kept some information. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Um,
1: you're subconsciously one of, the, it. one of
0: the one of the most bizarre looking alien races. Um, is called the Drock, and they're evil, and they're weird. And it's the name, and it's like, okay, similar name, okay, I can let it go. But then (laughs) also, in Babylon 5, one of the main characters loves Daffy Duck, and one of the other aliens sees this Daffy Duck poster, and he's like, who's that? And another character's like, having to explain, and they explain Daffy Duck like this religious, spiritual icon. He's the Mickey Mouse. He's the Mickey Mouse. Right. And then, obviously, Earth is shit. That's the other thing that's also in common. Uh They're very disparate elements, but when I watch it, I'm like, ah, I've I've seen these things play out in similar beats before. So there's the little B5 reference for you out there, people. There it is.
2: I think Babylon 5 is an amalgamation of a lot of... JMS is a gigantic sci-fi nerd and smushed together a lot of different sci-fi. So that, that definitely tracks all those things you said, like yeah uh, a pop culture figure is treated as like a weird god like thing by the aliens or by the humans explaining them or uh, the aliens you know, treated the like it's very
0: stoic like I'm so sorry about what I said yep. about Mickey Mouse
2: <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's, that's a joke I've seen before, but it is a funny and but like the Drock that's a particularly like specific uh name similar similar name same I, name I actually. think
3: the I think the last thing I wanted to say just on that point about the dr- wanting to know more about the Drock culture um that I kind of think is a a weird moment in this movie is when you learn about the Drak religion and the Talman, like the book that, that Jerry has around their neck and you, all we learn about it is that they basically think the same stuff as Jesus. And that makes them worth empathizing with. And that was kind of an odd beat for me where it seems like the, the big moment where, um, Willis is like, oh, we're not so different after all, is uh when he says, like, oh, the human Talmud teaches the same lessons and Jerry says truth is truth and all that. And it's like, Yeah, I guess so. But mm. also it'd be kind of cool to just hear the philosophy of an alien society and
0: Yeah. I it's weird that you end with the Jesus thing there. I really got with especially well, the book very Jewish Type of vibes from his little time and book that he had. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I yeah. I think it's the whole point of every society, every culture has some form of spirituality or religion or something. And a lot of these religions, a lot of these spiritualities, a lot of these things hit a lot of similar beats. Yeah, they that's... just vary on what they think what you should emphasize on. But a lot of religions emph- is about like oh unity and peace and prosperity and it's like that's the truth through most of the religions i didn't specifically see it as like a a jesus thing because also i saw with the drac there it felt like an amalgamation of like there's some there's some sikh culture in there there's a little bit of hinduism here there's a little bit of indigenous culture from this i felt like it was a a threading of a lot of things without being so specific like star trek i love star trek but it's like the bajorans yeah they're just space jews that's all they are right Well, this, I felt like, again, it's it's vague enough, but also not too vague where you go, well, they're not saying anything. Bartek, you want to say something?
1: It's essentially what you guys were saying. Yeah, I remember there was an image that was going on uh, around online a few years ago. It wasn't, like, super viral or anything, but it was basically this image of a bunch of different descriptions of what each religion really believes in, and they were all, like, basically the same thing in different wording, you know, like, yeah. love each other, peace, things like that. Maybe
0: not Scientology. I think they they, they have a different understanding of religion, but yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, maybe them.
2: <laughs> and especially, well, especially Abrahamic religions, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, are are w- remarkably similar, but different in important ways. So I think Magellan is more saying, like, the fact that the Drak religion sounds so similar to just Abrahamic religion, like believes in a holy text and uh, which all of them do and has like a Messiah, which all of them do. Like that part felt kind of
1: Abrahamic religion. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and
3: I, I think the, at least I do think that it's valid that it connects to all sorts of religious traditions, but I think that textually Willis Davidge is making a connection to the Christian Bible because the specific thing that uh, that Jerry is saying is this idea of if someone uh, attacks you or is cruel to you or whatever, you show them kindness. And it's very much the like turn the other cheek mm-hmm. Jesus thing. So that's at least what I was seeing there as the specific Christianity connection. But I think there is a sort of broader like golden rule thing going on there also
0: yeah I mean, yeah i I still wish that I could see more of this universe. This is the only thing we're ever gonna get. This is it. Yeah. but I wish yeah. that we could see more of this bizarre little sci-fi world because there's something here, but again, that it comes down to we're just telling a really personal story, and the sci ness is there as as table, you know, it, it serves a bunch of functions, but mm-hmm. really it's an aesthetic thing. I like a lot of sci-fi like good sci-fi you can still strip away the laser beams and the scales and the yeah. the, the pregnancies yeah. and still have a coherent story. That's what makes some of the best sci-fi work. It's not just spaceships go boom-boom in space and you go, fuck
1: yeah, like at the <laughs> beginning of the movie, right? If
0: the beginning of the movie yeah. was the rest of the movie, then we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it in the way that we are. Um, what did you feel...
2: I have a point. Oh, go on if i have like an overall takeaway from this movie what it has to say about uh faith and what it has to say about empathy and all that is we learn this from from the way that that uh dennis quaid's character learns it uh not only are we all the same but we are the first step in making change us ourselves our current generation Mm. because Mm -hmm. uh you know after learning he has that whole joke that whole line where he's like uh the other Jerry asks him like, "Oh, what are your parents' names?" And he's like, "Oh, Carl and Dolores." And Carl worked for IBM, and Dolores was a you know was whatever uh, waitress and the, a waitress. Thank you <laughs> before um, she got married. And and he's presented with right then and there. You no longer just get to be like, "Well, I had a great experience with a jock, and I moved on." It's like, nope. You have to make one of the biggest decisions of your life right now and decide if you're going to change the world right now. Which is the sort of call to action of this movie? This baby is going to be born. Are you going to pull it out of my stomach, and are you going to then bring it home? Which is like mm-hmm. the biggest peace offering to show the Drock that like not all humans are bad. Empathy can be can be developed, and and could very much future.
3: be a could very much be a death sentence for for Willis Davidge. Also, like he oh yeah, he doesn't have any assurance that if he goes to the Drock homeworld, they won't just kill him when he gets but
0: there. But by that point, he's already betrayed the humans to do this yeah. so he's dedicated enough where that doesn't matter at the earlier in the movie his whole point is we've got to go out and look for help because we're going to die like his whole thing is survival 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 for a lot of it right we've got to build the house we've got to do this we have got to survive right and as he learns throughout the movie you have to go beyond just being a survival person in these situations or you will go crazy like um to refer to Babylon Five a little bit again, but more so to Lost. There's a character in Lost who's played by Mira Falan, who's just like a survival oh, hell yeah. survival nut job. She completely for most of it. It's been a while since I've watched Lost because I don't like it. Um, when you meet her, she's she's insane basically because she's just had to survive. She's cut off personal ties. It's like that's not the way to go. And Davidge kind of learns that when he could have been like. Fuck Jerry! I'm just going to go on my own. But he promised Jerry he would come back. That, that he would come back. But then I also learned, yeah. But they're going to enslave Jerry. I don't want that. I'd rather die. Basically, he walks all the way back mm-hmm. and just was like, "We're just going to live here now." He gives up yeah, the foolish pursuit right. of escaping because death is death is more of a preference at that point than 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 perpetuating the hatred. That he was a part of at the very beginning of the movie, that's interesting to think about, like I was going to ask, how did we all feel when Jerry died because that's like the turn that's a big turning point right you you've now removed one of the two characters yeah, in the movie
1: <laughs> for-, for all the listening people who have been hearing us talk up Jerry this whole time uh he's in the first half of the movie,
0: yeah, a little bit over yeah, a little yeah bit the over. first hour, yeah, yeah. majority yeah. of the movie. What did you think of that part? I mean. Alan said, "This is the nature of the beast of these type of stories."
1: But did you, How did you feel? Did you see it coming? How did you feel about it? When it did? Um, I didn't see it coming, but I liked the fact. I like it when you have a character that, when they die, their presence, their legacy, is still felt. And in this mm. case, it was, you know, through the child and through our main character's development.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's important through the main character too.
1: Yes. Um so when it happened, you know, it surprised me because you know e- even just looking at the poster you think like, oh, this is gonna be the whole film. Um this this is gonna be just like that that classic movie Tiger and Crane Fists where they're friends <laughs> the whole time.
0: I remember as a child and again, Magellan brought this up, this is by the same director of uh was it the never ending story? And the most story. famous thing about the never ending story is the horse his friend the horse gets brutally oh. murdered. And it's like really sad. S- as a kid, it really upset me when Jerry died because I felt like I lost a friend. You know, when you get, like, so uh-huh. enveloped in movies, especially when you're uh-huh. a kid, you get attached? Mm-hmm. I was so fucking sad when Jerry went. And, and you know, and then I and then I liked, I liked the kid. I liked him as a kid as well. But, like, I was so sad. And as I grow up, it's still I still have that sadness there of, like, I've lost a friend. Even though it's just Louis Gossett Jr. in makeup from fucking nearly 40 years ago, right? Like... I still have that little, little, little thing in my heart where I'm just like, oh no, not Jerry. I wanted Jerry to make it. Even though, like, yes, Alan's right. Like, it's obvious, you know, when you know these type of movies, you know these type of stories
2: somebody's, going, somebody's to die. going to die
0: when you, and that's yeah. the unfortunate beast of reviewing and breaking and analyzing things you know these beats but sometimes the emotions still overcome you knowing the structural beats of a story and for me this and this I, is one of those yeah. one of those where it's still my emotions still overcome the knowledge of how stories work but also the knowledge of having seen this movie before mid-john you gonna say something
3: yeah and i think what um sort of rises makes this film rise above the structural like predictability of Jerry dying is it's not the sort of thing of your partner gets shot when they're one day away from retirement or something like that. It's Jerry is choosing fully knows that they're going to die and is actively choosing to go in this way or accepting it at least. And uh, sort of in the moment of their death is coaching Willis through how to deal with it and what to do next and uh I think that just it ends up making uh even though it's a letdown that this incredible character who was half of the film uh dies halfway through the film the way in which they die uh I think is is really meaningful and and ultimately uh you know Allows for the character to die with with agency over how that death takes place. Yeah.
0: It doesn't leave a bitter taste in your mouth. Like, I've seen some movies and shows right. where characters get killed or die, and it leaves such a bitter taste in my mouth where I go, they just did that for the drama of it, or they did this. But what you're saying yeah, it's mm-hmm. so true. Like, there's an ownership and an agency. And like Bartek said, yes, Jerry dies, but Jerry lives on through the people affected right. by Demets. Jerry be through the child through, through Davis Yeah. What did you, th- what mm-hmm. did you think, Alan? I mean, you, like you said, you knew that this is kind of the beats, but did you still get touched?
2: Absolutely. Well, so I think the, one of the biggest successes of this film is I, I was thinking a lot when, when we we're watching it about like where did the budget go, where did they put the money in this movie. I, I think that's a really valuable thing to examine. When, when criticizing a movie or, or when examining a movie. It's like, okay, well, they could have put the money into anything. You know, they had, let's say they had an infinite budget. And it seems like primarily they did, uh, you know, a good model work and making sure all the space stations look really cool. I think there's, like, a YouTube essay about the hallway design of Enemy Mine, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, hmm. And, like, the set itself looks like, let's be honest, like a 60s Star Trek, like, plastic rock set. But they really focused on, like, the characters and the, like, engendering empathy by, like, knowing how to focus on them and using parallel moments and parallel shots, like you were saying, where uh Jerry is, like, making faces at the beginning because of the rain. Like, it almost... And, and also on beautiful, beautifully painted backgrounds. Mm. You know, it's not it's a very uh-huh. CG-heavy movie. There's one major, like, creature effect, and it's the grabby guy that, like, is a recurring sort of menace to them. Love that guy. Uh, Love I, that guy. He's a, he's a friend. That's a friend for sure. Um, no, I no, hate he my No, he's turtles. an enemy.
1: you tried to go and cherry. Yeah. I just remembered one little he's giggle. He's kind of item. an enemy
2: mine, actually. <laughs> um, He's an enemy mine, and no, I, I, my, my point being that, like, they do such a good job making you like these characters that I almost could have watched this as just a play. Like yeah. give me the intro in five minutes in like text or something, or in a not a narration. And there is narration in this movie. Mm. And then just give me two actors in costume. Uh like, you know, the draw have to have the fingers so that the three and f- the versus five finger scene happens. Mm. But other than that, that's two this is two people talking. I love movies like this. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. Babylon Five because it's people talking in a room and it's very little like shooty shooty alien. Yeah. That's the shit I come here and for. And when
0: there is until the third act We'll get to it. Until then, the action beats are progressing the story because they're not like shooty shooty action. It's like, oh my god, the monster's got my leg. Here's close ups of my leg and the skin falling off of it because he's ripping it so hard. I'm like, yes. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone yes. else reacted like, gro- like genuine like woe to that. But even to this day, I was like, that's fucking brutal.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to understand the mechanics of that because he eats the turtle thing and then like sheds its like whole body out of the shell. But when he just has a tentacle around uh, uh, Willis's like leg, it gets bloody as if it's literally about to be no, sliced off. No, because it has like, prongs
0: in- on its tongue. But when it—that's dra- okay. how it okay. grabs the turtle thing at the beginning. It stabs its prongs into it and then drags it down. Mm. But and then eats okay. it with its mouth. But the tongue has spikes and stuff on it to fuck you up good. <sighs> like it's not just like <laughs> a normal tongue. If you look at it, it does have jagged bits that would rip your flesh. Gotcha, there are gotcha. just
3: moments of, like, surprise gore in this film that I, I end up being fine, but I was not ready for them. <laughs> like, that moment, and then I guess we'll talk about the third act, but when the guy gets, like, kicked into mm. the, the like, machinery, and you watch him get chewed up by yeah. it, and then someone is, like, brandishing his
1: bloody ear <laughs> later, it's like, yuck, <laughs> I didn't know we were gonna do but it's this. like
0: you said you had a giggle moment.
1: Oh, uh, yes, um... It's regarding the turtle thing. Mm. I think it's literally the very first shot you ever see of one of those turtle things is like it's a side shot of it walking mm. and then it like goes behind something and it's clear that it's going down a hill. yeah, yeah, and then yeah. obviously in the next cut, you see it's walking down the hill into the into the, the trap, into the trap. But just before that cut, you can see that, like, because it's not, it's not CG. It's like an actual, like, I want practical thing. You can kind of see it kind of fall over just before the cut. Yeah. And I had a little Google at that.
0: <laughs> see, people also get <laughs> hung up with sci-fi movies. They think the budget means everything. That's a thing. I don't think so. Look, I grew up with Star Trek. I grew up with Babylon 5. I grew up with old school, old school Battlestar Galactica. Doesn't matter sometimes. As long as you have compelling mm. characters a good story and a theme that you actually want to explore. I can overlook the little turtle creature falling down before the shot ends because also it was cute. I want one. Can I have my little turtle rumba creature? Please give it to me now. Yeah.
1: Ryan's hungry. Yeah, I'm
0: hungry. I want to shoot it with an arrow and then it runs away
1: <laughs> with my arrow. Am <laughs> I like giving back my arrow? And then you chase it. You, fucker. <laughs> you chase it by vaulting over. I
0: yeah. I mean, well, he wanted his arrow back because they're surprisingly fast. The little turtle things, yeah. but, uh, before we get into the gruesome third act this movie's funny i just want to make sure that people listening out Mm -hmm. there who haven't watched Uh this this movie's really funny and not just funny but fun like we're dealing with a lot of brutal topics like bigotry and all this kind of stuff but my wife said to me when she watched it she just said this movie's cute like it's really nice Kind of, yeah and how how did it I can only speak for myself, but I ask this question generally: How did it manage to have these heavy things going on while still also coming across as a nice, fun, cute little movie? How did it manage that?
1: Strong chemistry. Well, again, it's. Oh, everyone,
2: everyone else, go ahead.
3: <laughs> Bartek
0: said, "Strong chemistry." Uh, Magellan. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I think the scene for me that like fully communicates the sense of humor that the film is going for that makes it successful is when Willis is explaining his family lineage to Jerry and doing the stuff we were talking about before about, oh yeah, Dolores, my my mom, Dolores was a waitress. And then he's like, oh, and we used to go to my grandpa's farm, whatever. And then Jerry recites back to Willis the story of yeah, his yeah. family lineage. And it's like, shit sounds honest, boring. Willis <laughs> Tavage, uh, born of Dolores, a waitress, and further back, grandpa. Perhaps a farmer. Grandma, uh, perhaps a farmer. And it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And says, like, sounds kind of thin or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah. there's just something about that where that moment is. You're not laughing at Jerry for not knowing like, oh, his name's not grandpa. That's a word, stupid. Like that's not the joke. The joke is at Willis's expense, but also there's such a warmth in Jerry mm. really trying to uh, honor Willis and his family family lineage in a way that we're like, it doesn't need to be that serious. But it's there's just something about like coupling that, that like kindness with the sort of funny misunderstandings of it and the also them poking fun at each other because of how intimate they've become yeah that i I, think is at the heart of like why those things work i
0: relate one of the things i find interesting too is i didn't even think a part of the part of the humor was who he thinks their name is grandma and grandpa i thought what i found funny and this comes down to dennis quaid his performance he does not know... He he takes so long to remember his own mother's name, Dolores. Like, there's this massive yeah. pause because he's like, yeah. I've, I've never had to call her by her name before. I've called my dad by his name, probably. But, like, my mum is Dolores. And then he probably just doesn't know his grandparents' name. Like, I remember for so long I forgot my grandparents' name because they were just Nan and Pop, right? Like, you know, that kind of thing. And just, like, I got amusement from, from, from that. I remember one of the comedic beats for me that really sold me on the comedy of it is... When they're arguing against one another again, in, earlier in the movie, and Jerry is saying, you you aren't worthy of learning from, um, well, I can't remember the name of the, the Messiah person, but because you disrespected them early in the movie, and then he Dennis Mm -hmm. Quaid very sternly says, "Yeah, do you remember what you said about Mickey Mouse? And Jerry instantly drops the antagonism
1: and is genuinely sorry. He's like, I I didn't mean what I said. (laughs) And that
0: makes me laugh because it's like, uh, because we know what Mickey Mouse is, Jerry doesn't need to be so apologetic, but it's also like, it's so sweet. Like, Jerry's like, you know what, I'm willing to say I'm sorry for that one, okay? Like, I didn't mean that. That was unfortunate. And then that opens up it opens up Davidge to do the exact same thing.
1: As much as these moments are like comedic, like the Jerry sincerity, I think when I think of all those moments, I like get just like really impressed by how how sincere and how meaningful he he says all these things. Like it, it's a really big characterization moment. So like when he said that whole thing about like um you know. Sav- Davidge, son of blah 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 blah. thought like, wow, he's he's recontextualized this kind of clumsy information he's been given into something like really genuine sounding, and then hmm. that plays into the very very end of the film, the ending narration, yeah. where they kind of bring back that idea of like this is an important part of of Jerry's culture, and they add Davidge to that. Yeah, like Davidge what- made such an. In- Impact. Yeah, that last line. It's like, and Davidge was added to his family history. It's like just a big cl- as much as the third act has problems. Like that was a really good ending. It's
0: a it, that's a neat little bow on it. But uh, Alan, what about you? When it comes to kind of the levity and the and the in the and the, the humor of this, we've seen many uh, a gritty allegorical sci-fi things try to add their humor, <coughs> Star Trek Discovery, mm. and fail. Right. But what about what about it works here?
2: Well uh it's believable you know it's not too it's not too stranger in a strange land to the point where it's annoying it's not like oh my god i get it you guys are different you don't (laughs) agree with each other like they get pretty quickly to the point where they're friends uh or not friends but at least like begrudging allies and then it did feel a little awkward going from that comedy into the storm scene where it's like oh now uh i hate you and i'm gonna try and choke you and all this stuff where i'm like oh i guess we hate each other now and but like people act like that in real life maybe that's a weird edit but that's also just sometimes people even after getting along can still fight um that's just siblings right there uh yeah but this leads into talking about what I, I want to pivot to if we can we keep mentioning the third act yeah and I, I, I want to talk about it because uh a I don't have much more to say about the first two acts other than I I, I deeply I fell in love with both of these characters yeah. and really enjoyed the vibe of the world they were on but uh so Jerry dies and he gives birth to Zamis, his child, who uh, will, uh, who will, t- tries to bring to the Drak home world, uh, but he's found. Uh, Zamis is taken, captured by uh, some uh, human soldiers, and then uh, minus. I believe we, think we minus, are too
0: right. The, the...
2: right enemy, enemy miners, enemy miners. Uh, will is presumed dead after getting shot and falling, rolling down a hill really slowly. Uh, he wakes up. There's like a first person coffin sequence, which is fantastic. Oh, I love the humor in and that, he wakes that up. was
0: so bleak. <laughs> the music fucks up. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like hit the hit the thing like, God damn it. That was so super dark in a way I liked. Mm. That felt like a red and dwarf guy. He gag. wakes up as soon as he puts his hand around that guy's throat, I'm checked out of the movie. Because now he's just and it's cool that he's like, I'm gonna save these miners, and it's like cool, I respect these this like workers' rights thing going on here. Uh like you're treating them like th- you're literally these are your sl- your slaves. This sucks. Uh, let them be people. Let them be free. Where is my adopted son or whatever? But then it, it really is just like, here's, some, here's 20 minutes of action for the folks. I was so checked out of this, this last yeah. part of the movie. I
0: check out personally once he gets back onto the planet because I think there's actually quite a lot of interesting stuff on the ship, especially seeing his old comrades looking at him like like no, that can't be the same damage. I mean... He hates those drac guys. He wouldn't speak their fucking language. I think there was something you could have explored there, but... Uh, a potential. A, a fucking third act is... And, and and here's... You know, I've always said it. My My biggest complaint about the movie is Studio Interference. This is a movie from a very young age. As a child, I looked at it and said, this feels like somebody meddled with this. Even as a child, I felt the overbearing presence of someone in... Someone coming in, especially with... As an adult now, you don't need the narration, but that's very much a studio note. We need to have the narration. We need to have the Blade that. Runner,
2: perfect example. You don't need oh, the narration. Oh, yeah,
0: especially with sci-fi things where you're giving them big, heady concepts. You need to spoon-feed them with a text crawl at the beginning or narration. You don't need that. But back then, they felt like they did, especially. And we still see that today. Yeah. And then the third act, we've already went over it a bit, which is you have to have a mine in the movie. You have to have someone to be punched you have to have an action sequence. And it's not like any of the action sequences are done particularly poorly, but it's like this isn't the movie we've been watching. This is a new movie. This is Tango and Cash. I can tell because the bad guy was a mm-hmm. bad guy in Tango and Cash. For fuck's sake. Oh nice. And he's also in Blade Runner <laughs> do do we, as well, that guy. Do we oh, know,
3: perfect. do we know what the original like short conception story. of the ending was? Or yeah, how does the short story end? Um
0: I can't remember what the original conception, because also there's lots of behind-the-scenes issues with this movie, Bartek. I'm sure, I don't know if you read any, but originally this movie was shot by a different director and they weren't happy with it, so they got a new director to come in and redo the whole entire fucking thing. Um, I wonder what that cut's like, because that's a film that was almost complete as well, so I wonder what that cut looks like. But uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes studio interference, and apparently this is one of those movies too where it was going along fine, no interference even with that stuff and then it just went a little bit over budget and the studio came in looked at it and said what the fuck is this how about you do this how about you fix that how about you add this so i don't know necessarily what the original ending is i think the original ending would have had to have still what we got at the end which is he returns to the home planet and has a ceremony but the in between of that i don't know because also one of the things that Alan Miley brought up, is the big important thing to reference is Davidge does not want to leave this planet. He's completely like, Mm -hmm. this is where we live now. Do not go there. They're bad people. But, of course, child's curiosity um, leads to trouble. And it's just one of these movies where I wish... I just wish the third act didn't suck so hard because it really it does drag this movie down from what I would consider a 10 to a good 7. Because this ending just is, it's so inappropriate. But it's like, you had a big problem when we did Tango and Cash. You thought the ending to that movie was, even for an action yeah, movie... Yeah, the, the beginning
1: of the climax, especially. Yeah.
0: The, the action Even for an action movie, you thought that felt really weird and out of place. How did you feel about it in this, where we've been talking so headily about all these things, and then... Later in the movie, you have the bad guy from Tango and Cash literally jumps off a platform to tackle Dennis Quaid because he just hates him so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, when we um, similar to what Alan was saying, where when um, when we think that Dennis Quaid is dead, and we have that that conveyor belt, that conveyor belt sequence. Yeah, um, I mentioned earlier a big pro, big plus for this film is that. Uh, jerry's legacy still felt alive Mm. and the fact that you've killed seemingly killed the other main character it's like oh i wasn't expecting this so like well how are they gonna follow up on this death like i i don't see where this could go but can it be like as meaningful as that and then when you have that frankly like horror movie shot of like grabbing the uh, the throat throat i literally thought like oh, this is, this is weird. Like, in my head, what I was imagining was, like, oh, something happened on the planet to, like, give him a power or something to have survived that, and now he's, like, a, yeah. a monster or something?
0: Because it was a horror movie thing. Because it was a
1: horror movie's thing, yeah, so... In a non-horror movie. <laughs> and then the next time we see him, he's being operated on like he's sedate again, and it's like, oh, what's... The, the, the visual language of the film was confusing me.
0: Yeah, and then mm. you get into the action. Again, I think the action is done very well. I don't think it's terrible, but it's like it didn't belong in this movie. That's the thing. It's like, where did this come from? Like, And again, I can see on paper how this makes sense. I can see on paper, at the end, Dennis Quaid has to fight the enemy, which is his own people, to save someone who used to be his enemy. I can see that making sense, but... It does feel like whoever was in charge of this had it taken away from them, and the studio just put in the formula, plug in to all the different outlets, and here we go, we've got an ending. And it is just severely disappointing. Like, look, am I going to lie that I didn't say fuck yeah when um, the guy got ground up into beef and his ear got shot out? I'm not going to lie, I did enjoy that, that was fucking cool, but, like, did it belong in this movie? no the arrow through the throat belonged in this movie that made sense but like i don't i don't know magellan what did you think especially now that you know the mine was added because studio said audiences are dumb they need a literal mine in Mm -hmm.
3: them (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh it's just one of those things there i i wish i could think of some examples but i know that there are other films where i feel similarly where the third act just feels like okay this has to end, so we have to do something. And uh, for that reason, I I felt very ambivalent to the third act here. There's like not anything new that happens, uh, and I think it sort of furthers the critique I had before of centering uh, Willis Davidge as a character because he just becomes this like white savior guy. Yeah. And all of the jock are like, thank you so much for saving us. You're you're the good one, right? <laughs> like they're literally like, oh, you're uncle. We heard about you. You're the cool <laughs> human, cool uncle. Um, and yeah, so it was cool to see him like throw that guy into the shredder and and see the other human workers be like, yeah, solidarity between workers and you know enslaved people or whatever. But it just ended up being kind of trite um and you could really honestly just like hold the fast forward button until you get to the moment where he and zamis reunite yeah and then that scene is very, is very it is touching, very good
0: I when think. they reunite and he's like uncle you look terrible because he's shaved and cut his hair because
3: he's shaved and cut his hair yeah, he's and, his hair. yeah exactly. and he's
0: bloody of course but I, like, act one again i like you know, one of the things that i find interesting too is like <sighs> They just have the 80s villain man who's like, that kid scratched my face. Now I hate him more. It's like, did we need it? And one of the few things I will say is, I I think this movie is really smart and really cool. But uh, an insulting phrase I will use for the third act is cowardly. Because I think it's pretty cowardly that the enemy are these renegade miners that have nothing to do with... With the Earth people, but right, the Earth people tolerate the, with them. With the military that he's a part yeah, of. Yeah, and they right? just tolerate them. Yeah. I think it's cowardly. I think you should have leaned fully into it like Babylon 5 did and just say, no, no, Earth is unified and terrible. And look, I get it, but at the same time, I think it's just a, a, a wimpy way to go. I think it should have just been a part of the actual Earth military force. that are, like I, I they, they try to be like, eh, see, these guys are bad, but so that way when Davidge's friends walk in at the end in their military outfits, we don't feel afraid of them because we know they're nice, even though the beginning of the movie told us they weren't nice, that they're a bunch of xenophobic, bloodthirsty monsters that just love killing. It's like, at least in Starship Troopers, they continued to the very end to hammer home that it's a fascist regime. They didn't puss out. This, it feels cowardly. It feels like the studio or someone came in and said, no, but we've got to have the Earth people be good. We can have some bad ones. Um, Get, you know, the guy from Blade Runner, get the guy from Tango and Cash to be the guy with the scar on his face who's cackling and literally hurling himself and has a greasy ponytail. Like, fuck off oh, with right. that shit. <laughs> right, but
3: yeah. Yeah, that's a really But
0: then good point. you get to the end, end where he meets up with Davidge again, Zamas, who you know we haven't talked much about, but great child performance. And I'm I'm glad to hear that he's still acting. That guy's still around. He does a lot of voice work. I'm
1: I noticed. Yeah, pretty sure he does oh.
0: Falcon in a lot of mm-hmm. Marvel mo- with games and TV shows as the voice of Falcon. Um, and a few other big hitters, but mainly Falcon, I see. So good. He's still around because I thought impressive child performance, especially consider this. We haven't even talked about this that much, but. Louis Gossett Jr. and that child are acting under some of the most interesting heavy alien prosthetics I've ever seen in a movie, yet they can still come across through all of that makeup. We, You guys have covered Babylon 5, where there are actors under heavy makeup that can come through it and some that couldn't. And think about it. This kid's, what, yeah. like eight, maybe?
3: Yeah, can't be any older than that. And yeah. he could
0: manage to act through all of that makeup. I couldn't imagine doing that. Yeah. That in itself is an achievement. That in itself is like impressive. But then he just becomes a tool at the end to get kidnapped. And you're like, it feels, that's another thing. It feels disrespectful to Zamis as a character that he becomes a, a plot device. Yes. Because up until that point, he was like a real character.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, he's equated to a damsel in distress. <sighs> a
0: MacGuffin to yeah. collect and then say the end. And I, look, I would rather you scrap that and just have him. If we're going to go for a full, each act is a different movie, go to the Drak homeworld at the end and have some stuff there and actually see the ceremony proper instead of like a far away shot. Yeah.
3: Just actually kill Willis Davidge and like follow Zamis. Yeah. From no, Sleep
0: don't kill Willis. Yeah. He, d- he deserves to be Yeah, he's dead. He's no, dead. fuck he's you. No, he's alive.
3: He <laughs> <dead>. <laughs> well, but he
0: lives on in the lineage. He does. I get the the that. Name. But at the same time, I just want... I want someone to be happy <laughs> in this. And We get it. Like,
3: <laughs> well, you know, I think Xamus
2: is. Well,
0: happy, happy with the... having both parental figures brutally mur- dead?
2: <laughs> Heck yeah. Wait, no. <laughs> you,
0: you want him <laughs> no, to be I a war right. orphan? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I, but, I guess you're right.
3: Um, but yeah, I, I agree with the sort of frustration of, like, kind of taking Xamus out of the story because what it ends up doing is disrupting uh what I thought was a really interesting thing for him to have to go through which is like the only person that he knows or they know I guess in in the whole world is uh is Willis and so Zamas sees Willis and is like well I want to be like uncle because this is the literally the only person I know And it's upsetting to me that there are things that make me different from uncle because I love uncle so much. And I wanted to see Zamas go through, uh, the process of like meeting other drac and learning about what it means to be drac and learning to like, admire that and admire himself and love the fact that he's only got three fingers. But then when he meets Willis again, he has this weird line where he's like, and will I give my fourth and fifth fingers now,
0: Yeah.
3: uncle, or whatever? And it's like, what? No, that's not your story. You're not supposed to still want more fingers. You're supposed to be happy with You're who you are. You're meant to love
1: uncle, not humans in general. Yeah,
0: <laughs> right,
3: right. Well, he
1: wants to be a real boy, he's Pinocchio.
0: And again, I love the end, Bart, like you said, I love the ending. I love... Him being added to the lineage and the ceremony and you see their planet, like, you actually get to see, like, it's mainly water. And again, it's not too heavy and you have to work within a budget. I get it. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a satisfying ending, but it's just, like, studio notes. Like, now have yeah. a random narrator man who's not <laughs> fucking Dennis Quaid who we've had throughout the whole movie. Like, who? I-, I forget. Was that someone in the movie who randomly comes in at the end to tell us, like, a bedtime story about what happened? Because I-, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think because so. I was thinking, is that the old Drac guy that was in charge, like the head guy of the camp? Uh, but then it was like, but that guy had the Drac so. accent, while this narration doesn't. So no, I don't know. Like it, I like the ending, like the end ending, but the third act is a is a fucking hot mess, and that's the thing, like. I think that is a part of what holds us back from being a, a true sci-fi cult classic like this. I'm sure people say it is a cult classic, but really, I don't hear many people if ever talk about Enemy Mine outside of the cool makeup design, which is, again, it is cool. My favorite part is the little little, little flappy things on the edges of his lips that puff up. I like those. Those are, those are nice little touches or how his wherever his ears are supposed to be, how they throb. Weirdly, I, I like the fact that there's throbbing going on in the makeup. It's it shows that they went to the extra level. You're always saying that. I love throbbing, Alan. I love throbbing, Alan, <laughs> yeah, all night long. I know, right. Believe me, I know. So, yeah, one one of the things I want to touch on before we wrap this out is we mentioned before the the the, the gender stuff. I want to wrap around because I mentioned that. I want to talk about this. I really, I personally really like the conversation before Jerry dies about how we humans, like Davidge, you're alone. You're truly alone. And, like, Jerry's point of view about, like, you are so alone that you've separated your genders off and that brief union together is one of the closest times you're there to not being alone. And I think that's such an interesting sci-fi way of kind of grappling that idea of loneliness and how throughout human culture we've seen, like, the 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 separation of gender and that kind of idea of men are men and women are women and like there's this even within our own internal society like there's a separation from different groups whether it be genders whether it be races or whatever it is and you have a race like the Drak who don't understand that concept at all to the point in which they don't even have genders and i thought it was a i thought it was an interesting way of exploring that that i haven't seen a sci-fi thing do? And I found it actually pretty profound and interesting. What do you think about that, Bartek? The idea that, you know, you're alone because of all of these factors that the human condition has, whether it be gender or whatever it is. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that feels like very much... Like you've mentioned through few times throughout this um, episode that uh, a lot of the allegorical things in this film are kind of general and can apply to a lot of situations. I think that that one's tapping into, like, cultural differences and cultural perspectives. It's like, for example, when I went to India, like, the general attitude that people would have to me and to each other on the street is a lot more friendly and open than- Down here. Than down here in Melbourne. So, like, I had a bit of a culture shock when I came back from India and I went to Chadston Shopping Centre and everyone was just minding their own business. Completely normal- but after three weeks of something completely different, it felt very weird. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What do you guys think about this? Because, Alan, you brought it up before as a bit of a weird moment in the movie.
2: It's... Uh, Magellan, well, okay, uh, Madon actually really helped me like uh, contextualize this and make sense of this, this scene when we were watching it, because I was like, uh, my knee-jerk reaction whenever people talk about the gender binary is just to feel weird and uncomfortable and to squirm a little bit. But, like we've been saying... That is something Jerry would totally say. This isn't even like, oh, it's the 80s. They, they thought about things differently. Like, no, no, no. This is literally like a uh, uh, presumably a, an, a, or an asexually reproducing alien character being like, you guys are so separate that it's almost cute and beautiful that the time that you guys get to connect is when you copulate. We don't even do that. We just connect on other things besides sex. Uh, and he finds that charming and interesting. Um, I think it actually works better in the film than I gave it credit for. I just am trying to emphasize that the point I'm coming from is uh, this whole, like, me- we you know, men have these things and women have these things is always a little bit strange to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I I, I kind of looked at it, the jury sort, not just as beautiful, but really, I saw that he looked at it as, like, a tragedy for us humans. Like, you guys are alone. Mm-hmm, yeah. You guys are alone. Yeah, totally. And that's, like, the closest you yeah. get to being together. It's only fleeting we don't have we we are together all the time, we get each other like you know that kind of thing a little bit, but John, you want to touch upon this um
3: yeah, I think the to speak to yeah the sort of critique that Alan's making a little bit further uh it it is interesting that the i think the the critique that you can make is that Jerry is pairing the concept of sex with the concept of the gender binary and like maybe that is the issue. Um, But it makes sense that Jerry as an asexually reproducing organism would understand things that way. But obviously, you know, we know that like two people who are men can have sex with each other and like feel united in a fleeting way for that moment. So like, that's, what's weird about that moment in the movie. Um, But I I think that was the closest that the movie gets to trying to make a point about the cultural differences between humans and drock and being a human I kind of see a tragedy in Jerry's experience where uh maybe Jerry doesn't feel alone but like Jerry doesn't get to meet their kid oh yeah or the person who comes before them in their lineage presumably, I'm guessing that this all Drak died No, it was just something
0: childbirth. wrong with Jerry That was the point oh, really? that was and, and think about oh, it, we, was meet old, we meet old, old Drak Yeah, that was the main
3: thing mm-hmm. I was
1: thinking mm-hmm.
0: of It was something specifically But you
3: gotta split their guts open to get the kid No, out. no,
0: no, if you look, the guts I think were supposed to open on their own because they don't have any genitals to uh... give birth to the child You you see there's little prongs, that's why he had to open it himself because it wasn't oh, opening okay. properly. That's what my interpretation is. Uh, because, again, if, the film doesn't lean too heavy into the exposition yeah, if, of, like, um, on my race, we give birth by opening up our bellies, blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, if true, Jerry true, true. felt like the oldest drac in the film, then that would have probably lended to that interpretation. But he doesn't. He feels, like, kind of middle.
0: Yeah, I yeah I find it interesting, too. Like, I think a tragedy to the, the, the drac, too, is they don't get a choice. Like, you just become pregnant. That's just and and they think of it, but that's thing they think of it culturally as like a joyous thing. I don't. Mm -hmm. I would be like, I would like to have a choice (laughs) from my human perspective. That would be
1: your monologue if you were in the film. Like, I think it's sad that you don't (laughs) have a choice. Yeah, but and and just that their
3: sort of feeling of like not being alone comes at the expense of yeah. So I was born at the part of the cycle where I got this name, and then the this name comes next, and it'll circle back around to my name again eventually um and there's kind of like there's a loss of what it means to be an individual in that which is a sort of classic thing of like you know to what extent is that feeling of individuality worth the feeling of isolation um and i think that's an interesting theme that the film like gestures towards but doesn't really investigate much beyond that particular conversation yeah
0: and i yeah, it's it's all interesting, and I think too. Like, let's not let's not, not mention this, but I don't think <laughs> the film isn't aware that it has a lot of queer coding stuff going on with the whole fact that you have these two guys that are super psyched to oh, be dads.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, didn't I didn't sure. I say that during our watching John? I was like, they're gonna. This is in real life. If this happened, they would have uh, made love multiple times <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by yeah. the time you they can't, got picked you can't up. make love with Jerry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I'll get intimate. True.
0: I I have a
2: oh, exactly they would have been intimate. I, I have a random
0: true. gripe with IMDb. I don't know if it's like this on your IMDb, but why the fuck is Jerry credited as Drac on IMDb? I don't know why <laughs> really? he's just yeah he's not credited uh... as Jerry on IMDb. At least on my phone, um, maybe it's
2: Jerry's the name given to him. Drac. He doesn't have it. We don't. We hear the name that's actually his, and they never use it. Yeah, again. but it includes. But in... but you should just call him Jerry for the sake but of th- that's how credits work.
0: They don't call him yeah, Drak yeah, yeah.
2: throughout
1: the whole movie. They call him Jerry. It must have been on a different website, but I saw him credited as, like, the first word of his name, and then, then quote Jerry, then the last part of his name. Which is neat. Yeah. <laughs> they actually give him his full name. It's but, like Bartomiej Bartek Kaspershak.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of the things I want to touch on, because I've got Bartek here, is I've seen some people complain that that Zamas doesn't have... A full-on American accent because he was raised by an American man. Mm-hmm. I want to touch upon that because he does have a partial American accent, but he does also have the druck accent, and I think it's interesting because Bartek. One of the things that I've realized over the years is you grew up in a bi- you know bilingual family. Your, your mum's Polish, speaks Polish. You speak Polish, but you don't have full grasp of it. But every now and then. You just have a different accent. Like every every now and then, words will come through with a real Polish lean, even though you've grown up your whole life in Australia. Yeah, and I find that an interesting. I've noticed. Thing.
1: I've noticed that in sentences where I say my name, it tends to be a bit more because I want to like emphasise the R in my name.
0: Or with W's, I've noticed that with W's too. Like you, yeah? you pronounce the word like I've won a game differently to me. Oh right, yeah. You pronounce you've it with told- a heavy
1: W. That one I've never noticed until you brought it up. Yeah,
0: so it's like. I kind of saw it as like the kid has a bit of both accents because he wasn't full on Drock, but Mm -hmm. he wasn't full on like, I'm an American boy, (laughs) but also they have weird mouths with weird teeth. So they will have different pronunciations than us anyway.
1: It reminded me of a compliment I gave in our, this might be funny because I'm bringing this film up, but in our uh, Coneheads episode a few years ago, (laughs) when I mentioned like when we met the daughter character in that. Um, she felt like a very genuine, like, kind of mishmash of, like, yeah, she's got these, the, what was their race called again? Um, (laughs) Coneheads. Was it just (laughs) Coneheads? Oh, yeah, she's got a mix of, like, the Coneheads race because, you know, she's part of the family, she grew up with these parents, but she also grew up in America, so you have this, like, kind of fusion of, like, yeah, she understands, like, the quirks of both. A second generation. Yeah, so, and even though we didn't get as much of that in this film with the kid character... Uh, at least, like, with the way he spoke, it was very distinct from Jerry. Yeah,
0: it was. And also, I don't think I would need the eight-year-old child actor to try and do the heavy, gargly accent that Louis Gossett Jr. had mastered from when he was a child with his toothbrushing. Because we've heard about that story, right? Did you hear about that one? Louis Gossett Jr., I think, talked about, like, no. he developed this voice or accent when he was, like, a little cu- kid brushing his teeth. And you like have all the mouthful of like spit, and when you're gargling, and he's and he would walk around to his mother, being like doing that, oh, and he came up with that. So, and he yeah. still does it at conventions when people ask him. He's like, "Oh boy, I'll I'll give you some Jerry."
1: See, I I didn't know about the toothbrushing <laughs> thing. I on the IMDb trivia, it just mentioned that he builds up a lot of saliva and does it. Yeah. So I just imagine like, oh, if anyone requests it, he has to like build it up for a few minutes,
0: like Goku for a whole episode, <laughs> he has to build up his energy. <laughs> just the one episode. Um. Yeah, just one no fifteen, sorry. I'm sorry, I forgot Dragon Ball. So that's it. Enemy Mine, would we recommend it?
1: No, not good. <laughs> well <Whoa>. no. <laughs> just add the just add the explosion after
0: it. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: I do recommend it.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about you, Magellan? Recommend this?
3: Yeah, I mean it it uh it's definitely not part of the like sci-fi 101 curriculum <laughs> it's a sort of like special study in sci-fi films kind of thing um, but i think if you're in the mood for something that looks really cool and has a lot of great visuals and has something to say and is kind of like a deconstruction of Star-Trek-y, star treky star wars y stuff uh, i i I thoroughly enjoyed it
2: and I would recommend it to folks who are looking for that sort of thing.
0: Alan recommendation from you or no.
2: Yes. Uh, be aware what you're getting into. This is not your star Wars. This is not an action packed. Well, it gets there, but if you're looking for action, just watch the last 30 minutes or watch something else. Uh, if you're looking for meaningful, like interesting conversations, some beautiful backgrounds and some great costume work, uh, Definitely, 100% recommend.
0: Yeah, I recommend it. It's great. I love it. I mean, you know, it's got all the things that I want from a sci-fi movie. Characters, interesting alien designs, a world, themes, some cool spaceship battles. I actually liked the spaceship battles at the beginning. I thought they were fun. Um, but yeah, it's good. I think the music's really good too. We haven't touched upon that, but I thought it was really well done. I thought it matched. Um, I Yeah, I recommend this. Of course I do. I think more people need to get their eyes on this bad boy I personally it's one of my favorite Dennis Quaid performances too like I got introduced to Dennis Quaid like I think a lot of people did which is through the film Inner Space um the film in which he's like a a, a, uh in a little ship that's been shrunk down to the size of a cell and he's been injected into Martin Short great film (laughs) um and he's talking to Martin Short who's a hypochondriac um (laughs) that's a great film Inner Space by our good boy Joe Dante Bartek um small soldiers himself (laughs) <laughs>
1: he truly is a small soldier in that film.
0: Yeah, no, he is. I mentioned that in small soldiers, and of course, that film has Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager. Um, but yeah, I recommend this. Love this film. Highly, highly love, 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 love. One of my, uh, I just want to touch. One of my favorite Jerry lines was his first real line in English, which was "sheets." <laughs> <laughs> that was that, the way he does it. Is so good. Um, but yeah, that's it. Bartek, are you ready to hear the recommendation from our listening people?
1: I'm excited.
0: Our listening people have recommended a sequel to a film. Okay. Where the sequel is apparently so bad it's good. Uh So I want to do this challenge. I want to to watch just the sequel. Could you watch the first one and the sequel to see if it's so bad it's good or just bad because it's a terrible Mm follow-up? Or if it's just bad on its own rights? Okay. Or if it's actually a secret gem? We're watching The Highlander 2-
1: Oh, right, <laughs> yes, i Oh, hell yeah. Quickening. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I have never seen a
0: Highlander movie before. I've never All seen right. the show I've heard the Highlander is really good, but the second one is garbage. So I want you, Bartek, to give a... You be a Highlander expert when you walk in, and I'll be the novice. Because that seems to be our, 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 our banter. When we did Star Wars, you're like, okay, I'll watch all of the prequels to Revenge of the Sith. I'm like, I'm never going back, baby. <laughs> never again will I see Jar Jar in my lifetime. You, well, you watched Wolf Creek 1. <laughs> I did waf- watch Wolf Creek 1, because I hadn't seen Wolf Creek 1, so I thought I better prep for Wolf Creek 2 when we covered that. But uh, that's it uh alan magellan where can people find you and your podcast on the internet
2: uh midge i think i did it last time do you want to give it a shot
3: sure so you can listen to us talking about tv shows every week uh, on your local podcast player if you search chats a television podcast at c-h-a-t-z A television podcast because it's like a cool – it's like remember the 90s when it was cool to use these? We're still doing it. Um, You can also find us at chatspod.simplecast.com or if you would like, because you like us so much, we also have a Patreon over at uh, – what's that? Patreon.com slash yeah
0: there it is <laughs> so, there you go you that's got there you got that. there at the end what's patreon oh patreon oh yeah. <laughs> i'm still wondering what a z yeah. is All right yeah what's a z we call him a Z yeah. down here baby zed's dead baby
3: oh sorry sorry <laughs> c-h-a-t-z thank
0: you thank you thank you very much thank you yeah you guys Ooh. are covering great stuff at the moment you guys are going through like mini series so yeah you're tackling yeah. what is it vanity fair right now I know.
3: Vanity Fair and then we're going to be talking about uh, HBO's Angels in America miniseries and then we're going to follow that up with coverage of the 90s adaptation of The Stand the Stephen King book mm. um, so that's going to be some campy nonsense yeah
0: we at time so make sure Listening people to go follow them on all of that stuff. We'll include some links to those in the description, of course, as we usually do. You can find us on all the podcatchers as well. You can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. You can email us uh, at spitandpolished at gmail.com. That is spitandpolished at gmail.com. You can email us with your questions, queries, thoughts, concerns, and recommendations. Also, our social medias, you can recommend us movies on there. As I said, we are in need of some more recommendations for movies, so hit us up and we'll add it to our list, our devil's list of, <laughs> of things. Because people are like, hmm, these guys like a Big Fat Liar, they will surely like Bad movies? No, we like good movies.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the damn big fat liar too,
0: or Thunderpants. So,
1: um no, not Thunderpants.
0: Yes, Thunderpants. <laughs> you have to watch it; it's great. So. I um, appreciate you guys coming on, discussing Enemy Mine with us. Uh, yeah, thanks for having It was us. a lot of fun. Yeah, I was questioning, yeah. should I tell them what this movie is or just, just let them watch it? And uh, I, I go by the rule of, if they want to know, they can just look it up. I said it was sci-fi and that was enough. So
3: going into this movie, cold was the right way. to I watch agree. It, yeah. I agree.
0: Cold shiver down your spine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bartek, <laughs> a pleasure to talk to you, but I'm afraid we're going to have to leave, uh, end this uh, discussion because I've got some big green Jello balls to eat to keep my sustenance up, and um, I've got to look after look after a kid. Okay, can you handle that, Bartek?
1: Pleasure talking to you too, Ryan.